Welcome back, beloved. You know, I should probably take Overton's advice and not worry about high production and just put up the stream, Owen Benjamin style, but I can't help myself. <laughs> I think we have some bad audio. How does it sound? Is this better than last time or is it worse? I just took my headphones on because I was hearing a bunch of hissing. Hissing. I wonder maybe we go back to our old way. Well, we wouldn't expect anything else. Stand by. Well, we'll try that again later. So how's the audio now? Are we good? External microphone. Okay, looking good, looking good. Hold on. Let me turn it down just a little bit. Nothing but the best. Fuzzy, okay, lots of hiss, yeah. All right, we switched over to our, our old system, uh, the lab mic. This should be a little bit better. Give me sevens in the chat if you like this better, if this sounds better. If not, we'll do something different. Hissing, slight hissing, much better. Yeah, good, good, okay. <laughs> I should have known better than to mess with, uh, well... We'll just stick with what we know. Stick with what we know. Welcome, gentlemen. It is a beautiful Thursday morning. Woke up this morning to about 38 degrees or so, but I do have good news. It looks like we have a forecast. The warm weather is going to be here. We're going to be in the 70s next week, and I'll tell you, man, that is long, long, well, I, I'm very excited about that. I've always enjoyed fall and winter more than I have summer because I don't like being hot, but to be honest with you, Maybe it's just my advanced age. I have not enjoyed uh, this winter. Maybe because it just kind of lingered on for so long. So it's just the way it is. Sometimes it comes in slowly. Sometimes it just comes in all of a sudden. I think that's what we're going to be dealing with here. Interesting. I have an interesting story to share with you. You know, I've been warning you guys about what's the most important decision that you can make is to stay away from those 304s and we have a cautionary tale one of our subscribers actually I have I'm actually collecting reams of stories of guys that have gotten absolutely destroyed by making the wrong choice the wrong choice in women and this one here is a doozy Talk about 25 years in prison so we will uh, we will see all right let us uh, let us get this out of the way we have not been very successful at our lantern lighting this week I have received lots of pressure in there. A lot of advice from people and every single bit of it conflicting. So as usual, we're just going to throw it all out and just continue to practice insanity by doing the exact same thing over and over again and hoping for a different outcome. That's what we do around here. It's the Thomas Edison approach. Oh, man, we're almost out of petrol here. This would be our last filler. Oh, well, that was a close spill, close spill. Okay. This thing is getting my goat, man. Getting my goat. All right, we got five by five. Everyone's happy with the chat. Okay, we'll just leave sleeping dogs alive. I was gonna, I was gonna get all fancy and get some nice audio for you, to get, for you guys, but it's just not gonna happen. Stick with what you know. 
Whoops, I'll be right back. It's one of the great mysteries of life. The ability of something to travel across the shop floor is astonishing to me. I can drop a little screw. You know, it, it, screws are not exactly aerodynamic. It's not like they're designed where they could travel with great velocity and with very low friction and all that. But I'll drop one of those things. I'll drop a, like a little eight millimeter screw and I'll, I'll, I'll hear it hit the ground and then I will look for it and I won't find it. Then I'll start uh, a search pattern and I'll start working out, working out, and you'll find it 30 feet away from where you dropped it. I don't know. Okay, so last time, now I was told by the most credible source when it comes to lining these landers that, 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 ten, that 20 pumps is not correct, 30 pumps is not correct, that actually it needs to be 27. So 27 pumps, that's what I was told. That makes the difference. Let's try it. Okay, that's 27 at or near. The guy had the the 27 but 27 pump guy had the gall to tell me that I'm not feathering it. I need to feather it. He must have used the word feather like four times. I I, I am feathering it. Trust me, I'm. Oh, it takes so long. I feathered it. I feathered it. Come on now. Come on now. Oh no, there's smoke coming out. Smoke coming out of the generator? We're not off to an auspicious start. I'm not, get, I'm not getting, have, going anywhere. Oh, there's gas leaking out all over the place. I'm not going anywhere near the, this. This thing is dangerous. There's actually gas leaking out of it. Yeah, that's not going to get lit today. We'll try that again tomorrow. Goodness, the death machine. Okay, so heard a very interesting or got a really interesting email from a fellow Proho here, and he actually works as a prison guard or corrections officer, I guess it is, and or, or has something to do with that. So he sees a lot of uh, a lot of dudes, sees a lot of guys that, that cycle in and out of there, and he made the observation that um, I think it was that he estimated that about 75% or so of the men that find themselves in these situations incarcerated uh, are a direct result from having a meeting or messing around with the wrong women. Um, I'm just going to, uh, it's short here, uh, but I wanted to read this particular story. He said he had a particularly interesting, this is I our friend, he's from Idaho, particularly inter interesting story. Uh, regarding a man uh, who was involved, what he what he says is a toxic relationship with a twenty for twenty years. He's been married to a woman for twenty years. Now this man, 
uh, was warned about this woman before he got engaged, married to her. All of his friends and families saw all the red flags, but of course he did not do that. How many times, how many times have you seen, have we, I, I've done that, where you, you've met someone and you're so infatuated and you, you, you think, without a doubt, absolutely, this is the one, this is the one I've been waiting for, my, my soulmate, all of that. I've seen dudes that have met girls like this where I could see immediately, like within an hour, that this girl was bad news and completely oblivious. It's incredible the ability of, uh, that we have of putting blinders on uh, when we are enticed by the, Jezebel, by the Jezebel spirit, correct? How many dudes, I mean, have you done this as well? I probably have done this as well. Met someone and chose her, this brand new person that you've never known, you don't know her background, but because of that infatuation, chose her over all of your friends and stopped hanging out with your friends, stopped doing things. They're asking, hey, how come you don't come around anymore? Well, we've all been there and all done that. But here's a cautionary tale. So the man is married for 20 years. This is the type of a woman he married. Essentially, this woman used him for a paycheck and was constantly unfaithful to him, even though he could not prove it. Goodness, I have worked with some dudes like that. I remember working, I remember working with a guy uh, who um, married a very attractive woman. And he was always... There, there, I mean, he was always on his phone. Phone. He was always um, checking in. He had. He, he was the most anxious-ridden person I've ever met. Why? Because he was always wondering what she was doing, where she was going, what she was up to. Apparently, he had reason to be suspicious of her. But this man had absolutely no peace. All he could do, everything about it, consumed him. You could see them together. I saw them together at a. It was a wedding one time, I believe. And you couldn't even talk to the guy. You couldn't talk to him because he wouldn't look at you because all he was doing is looking to see, check on her. Where's she at? Who's she talking to? What's she doing? And at work was the same way when he was away. You know, what's, what, what is she doing? I'm worried about this. I'm, there is no woman on this planet. I don't care how attractive she is, how interesting, how perfect her body is that would be worth that sort of anxiety. So 20 years he's married to this woman. She's using him for a paycheck, constantly unfaithful to him, multiple times. Even though he couldn't prove it, he finally caught her in the act and got into a verbal altercation with the lover. So he comes home, or wherever, finds them together, and now they're arguing, right? Here's an exact, the exact reason why I don't like the police. You should never, ever get the cops involved with your business unless it's absolutely necessary. You know, back in the day when men had, they had to deal with issues, if justice had to be dealt out, it was dealt out swiftly and effectively. Uh, that was the way it was done. This is a very new idea that we personally <clears throat> could never take on the responsibility of um, taking care of what needs to be taken care of, right? Now, I'm not advocating violence or breaking the law in any way, but I'm just telling you, Maybe sometimes some situations would be better handled internally than having them show up. What are they going to bring to your life if you call them? Nothing good. Tell me one good thing that's going to happen if they show up to your house. Yeah, exactly. So the guy goes home, confronts her, confronts the lover. They're arguing. The cops get called. Who called the cops? I don't know. Did she call the cops? Maybe the neighbors called the cops. In... 
the melee. The cops show up, right? He's agitated. He's hurt. He's disappointed. You know, he's dealing with this. There's three people in there. There gets to be a little scuffle. What this guy says that is, is that he, when the cops came in so aggressively and started pushing in and butting in and, and involving them in a situation that they probably didn't need to be there. And one thing, one of the worst things you can show up to, you know, as much as I dislike cops, uh, one thing that is a difficult part of their job is dealing with these domestic disputes. So he comes in there. This guy, in a passion, is angry. He's upset. He pushes the cop. And now he's arrested for assault. And now, what does he get? Five years. So immediately, his wife cheats on him. He didn't do anything wrong. He's in a passion. He's upset. Reasonably so. You would be so as well. I thought the fact that he didn't all just take care of the problem with a, with a lover uh, <laughs> on his own is, shows great restraint. Uh, but so for, his, for, for all of this, he ends up with five years in jail. And then all, all that, after that, he's sitting in jail. What happens? The day he goes into prison, she divorces him, takes his house, takes the kids. He has nothing. 20 years of hell, he serves with her. Another five years on top of it. Now he's a convicted, probably a felon. He's lost his kids. He most likely, good luck at, after going to jail for five years for a domestic, good luck ever getting any sort of a custody in the court system with. And she gets his house. So she abuses him, takes advantage of him. He takes care of her for 25 years. One little alter, alter, altercation. The blue-pilled simp pigs show up. There, there's something happens, and now he's in jail for five years. I tell you, gentlemen, man, it, it is too much to risk. Too much to risk. The court system, the family court, the way things are, it is not going to go well for you. And I mean, I, I, I just, I can't, it shocks me that anyone's getting married at all. It shocks me that anyone with, with, that's waking up to what's going on and how one side of the court system is and how one woman like this can absolutely destroy your life. It is such, I mean, if, it's, if it was 50-50, and it is, would you take these chances? Would you go out? Would you go boating if there was a 50-50 chance that your boat was going to uh, cap, uh, capsize and you were going to have to swim to shore and you may or may not make it? But there's a 50% chance that that won't happen. I mean, if you look at it that way, like the things that we do, we manage risks all the time. I get on my dirt bike. I go and ride. I understand there's a risk, but I manage it. I manage it because it's, it's acceptable. It's, it's not a 50-50. If it was a 50-50 chance, I wouldn't even throw my leg over the thing. But here we are jumping into marriages, signing up for these contracts with these entitled Western white women, and it is an absolute disaster. And you, I mean, you might as well, it, it is just like having a ticking time bomb in your house. I mean, it really comes down to, to trust. I mean, you have, as a man, you have no security or any protection whatsoever. You can have the best job, you can have a brand new paid for house, you can treat your wife like a princess, you can provide for her children and all of that, everything, like just everything absolutely perfect and all they have to say, I'm not happy. And they go to the courts, they make a phone call to an attorney and, all, and if they lie, heaven help you, if they lie or make things up or fabricate or say that they put their hands upon you, you put their hands upon them, or vice versa, whatever you know what I'm saying, Goodness, be, be careful, gentlemen. Be careful. Be careful. Okay, let's jump in here, see where it takes us. Open up my Signal app here, and 
goodness, we are going. We have a brand new member, Mr. K.J. Moore. Shout out to you, K.J. Welcome. Welcome. Good to have you here. And unknown, $2 super chat from a friend, unknown. Mr. Wrangler, what do you do with money? Hold on to it? Man, that is a very tough question. I, I think all of us have been talking about this of late, trying to figure out, um, you know, we're, we're dealing with the same situation. So the question is, what do you do with your money? Now, traditionally, what have we done with it? You know, we put, have your emergency fund. You know, it's good to have a little bit of cash in the bank for that sort of thing. Um, the stock market, of course, mutual funds, all that sort of thing, has always been a good bet in the past. Um, but now, or even saving it, even just buying gold or cash or just having something, you know, tangible assets. But the, the problem is, like just like this morning, Mrs. W's Forerunner is up for brand new tires. Do you know what tires cost now? $275 per tire times four, plus mounting and balancing, alignment, all that sort of thing. You know, that's just one example of the inflation that we're looking at. These numbers of inflation that they keep toting out on, on uh, mainstream media or so, what are they saying? 4%, 5%, 6%. That's nonsense. It's, it's 100%. It's 100% if we're looking at retail prices. The last tires I bought, it's close to 100%. The last tires I bought for her car, was they were $125 a piece. No. $150 a piece. Now they're $275 a piece. Now have your wages increased twofold? Mine haven't. <laughs> and most people's wages have gone down and gas is more expensive. Insurance is more expensive. Food is what doubled, tripled sometimes with some of the produce. Uh, I, I don't know how people are, are getting by to be honest with you. I mean, it, I mean, for people, when we look at what's the average income for most folks in the country, you know, $40,000, $50,000 a year, where's the, where's, the, where's the room? How do you deal with that? How do you deal with that when you were probably, even at $50,000, $60,000 a year, you were probably not having a whole lot of extra, and now food is double, now tires are double, now gas is up by 50%, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So what's really bad about that is if you have been responsible and you've, put some, you've got a few thousand bucks in the bank, you okay, mama? You're not going to die on me, are you? You never know with an 18-year-old cat. So it's just vanishing. As things get more and more expensive, it's vanishing. So I'll just, I, I can't give you financial advice. What do I know about it? I'm not a financial advisor. I could just tell you what we are doing and what I think would you know, may, maybe make sense for the most, most guys. I think it's really important to have hard assets that are going to be worth something. Have a little bit of precious metal. Wouldn't be a bad idea to have 10, 15% of, of your portfolio or your savings in precious metal. Mrs. W and I are just made an order and, and decided we're going to do that, kind of split a little bit of, between gold and silver. Not, not a ton, but just have a little bit and just make a habit of doing that because it does seem to hold value. And it's always hold, held value and you know it's just kind of a, a no-brainer. I would be un uncomfortable with putting everything into one thing. It just shocked me how many folks put everything put it all down in crypto when crypto was going and they were talking, you know, oh man, to the moon and, and buying all this stuff. You know, can you imagine putting everything you had, all your eggs in one basket and look how many of them got their heads taken off, even really smart, savvy people. So it is the human nature when you see something going up, you have a fear of loss, you don't want to miss out on it and, you, and everyone else is doing it. It's the herd mentality. 
you know, that's really dangerous. So always diversification is really important. So maybe 10 or 15% wouldn't be a bad idea. That's what we're going to do into gold and silver. Hard assets. You know, if I had money in the bank right now, I would rather have something that's going to appreciate in value. So for us, we're putting our money into real estate, real estate local that we know the market. It's very, I mean, it's very, very dangerous. We have some friends that have, that have, are, are, that are off-site landlords that have properties, uh, you know, that are hours away. And I just can't, it, that's, I would not want to deal with that. It, it is an aggravation that I wouldn't want. So I would encourage you, if you're going to buy a rental property, just have something that's close by, something that is uh, on the lower end of the budget. And one thing that's always going to be needed is rentals that are an affordable price, which really in this country means something under $2,000. $1,500, $1,800, there's always, if it's a three or four bedroom, there's always going to be people that need that. We have rentals like that, couple rooms, two roommates, people in there, no problem. That's a good way. That's a definitely a good place to, to keep money. Also, hard assets, you know, things that are, that are going up in value, you know, um, but find things that are rare. I, one thing that I put some money into was, um, was heavy equipment, you know, put, put probably a $150,000 into a couple pieces of equipment, buckets and accessories. Now, I'm not putting any hours on it. It's uh, always, since I bought it used, it's, it's always going to be what I paid for it. It's actually, I could sell it for more now than I paid for it because I take care of it and I haven't put hours on it. But it also gives me, if everything were to fall, the bottom were to fall out of everything, I've got, I own that. No one can come and take that. No one can repossess that. No bank can wipe me out, no bank can close, you know, you, you just control your money, you control everything, and that wouldn't be a bad idea. And not only that, if you had all of your money in a bank account or a savings account, and it goes under, like we saw this um, Silicon Valley Bank. Now, are they insured? Will it be insured? You know, they say they are. What's the process? You know, do you want to deal with all that? I don't know. But let's say you lost everything. There is a bank run. Well, what are you going to do? What's your recourse? What happens if you need that money right now? What if you have to pay payroll? You know, what if it takes months, years to even to get your money back? You know, that, those are things I just don't know. I don't like not having control of that sort of thing. Whereas buying something that's tangible, that's going to be uh, an asset that's going to hold its value or increase in value, you know, okay, so the bank failed. Well, so what? I had already taken my money out of that. I have it in this equipment. You know, now I can use this equipment. I could either sell it, recoup my money, or I can go out and make a living with it. So I can just tell you what we're doing. So we're putting 10 to 15 percent in gold and silver. You want to have your emergency fund for sure, six month to a year emergency fund, ideal, and then uh, hard assets, and then local real estate. Local real estate would be really good, provided you know what you're getting into. I would be reluctant if there's a lot of, if you take a place like. You live in Bend, Oregon, for example, one of those places that just boomed like crazy. The prices were inflated probably double what they should be. There's a ton of inventory. All the builders moved in. You know, that's what happens when prices start going up in an area like that. The builders move in 
because they know that they can make a lot of money and they start building like crazy. And you know, from the time you start to build to the finish takes about a year or so. So you can be like, times are just going good and you're just cranking and you're putting those houses up and halfway through it, that could all fall out and that's what's happening right there. So if you're in a situation where people are lowering prices when you look at the market, they're going down and down and down and they're not able to dump these properties, no, of course you don't wanna buy something like that. But if you live, live in an area like we do that's very high demand, there's very little, if not hardly any inventory, and when something comes up, people, it's a bidding war, you know you're, you're safe to buy real estate in a place like that. So that, that's what I would do, man. It's tough, it's tough. You know, I have one friend that is, um, that is putting all of his money in firearms. You know, he's very specific, he buys high quality stuff, mostly ARs and stuff, you know, stuff that's gonna hold in value, but he buys them secondhand, you know, he's always watching, and that's where he's putting his money, and he's got a lot of money wrapped up into that. And at any given time, you know, that would be pretty easy to liquidate as well. So there's lots of different things that you can do. It's tough, man. You're not the only one, you know. I mean, I, I have some friends that are, are financial people, and even they are struggling with this. They're basically saying the way things have always been and the way we've always done stuff, you know, it's not necessarily uh, the way anymore. You know, and the stock market and mutual funds and all of that, you know, I do, we do have a percentage of our income in that on big companies, blue, stip, blue, blue, what do they call it? Blue, uh, blue chip stocks, you know, are those companies going to be around forever is, or at least long enough, your Amazons, your apples, you know, that sort of thing. Probably you'd probably be safe with that as well, but it's hard to get it. I, it that worries me because there's so much manipulation on the back end. There's there's the smartest people in the world. Where do they go to work? Well, they go to Wall Street. They go into finance, into investment banking, and they're a whole lot smarter than you and I when it comes to monies and markets and how all that works. And how could we possibly complete compete with that? Especially if they're doing shady. If, if they're pr practicing in shady business, you know, so that makes me nervous as well. I'd be more comfortable with holding on to it, having tangible assets, coins, gold, silver, property that I can go stand on, and um, hard assets. Mr. Jo John Doden, and member message, shout out to you. Welcome, John. John writes, I want to recommend All Proho to starting eating beef liver in some way. Capsule form, mixed in ground beef, etc. It's the ultimate multivitamin. Yeah, Mrs. W has actually been into that as well. She, she's always, when uh, Jack um, and the Sweet Loaf were growing up, she, that was a main part of their diet, uh, was beef liver. Uh, she would puree it and mix it up into things. Very, very healthy. It, yeah, it's not often eaten. It's not really, a lot of people don't like it. They don't like the texture or just the idea of it, eating organ meat. For I think maybe a lot of Western people, it, it is somewhat off-putting. So yeah, that's a good reminder. I'll have to. I think I I don't ask questions about how Mrs. W uh, does the feels the food around here. She practices this policy that she calls um, deceptively delicious, <laughs> meaning that she puts all manner of um, healthy things into the family foods in ways that we don't even know it's there. And I just told her, you know what, don't tell me. You know, she used to like to smirk and tell me. After I ate dinners, you know, she would look at me and she would say, you want to know what I put in your meal? <laughs> you know? And uh, I would say, no, 
I don't want to know. I don't care. I have no interest. All I know is that it was delicious, uh, and you just keep on doing what you're doing, um, and you take care of your family the best way you see fit. So, yes, absolutely. I have not heard of this beef liver being uh, taken as a supplement. Capsule form, mixed in ground beef, etc. It's the ultimate multivitamin. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah, I've even known some women. Um, yeah, there's a lot of things that we don't understand. Western medicine does not have all the answers. The, what seems to me to be the problem with a lot of Western medicine is focusing on, on what it is that's bothering someone. You know, I've always wondered about the, how wise that is. You know, you have you know, skin problems or lesions showing up on your skin and such. You know, why is that? You know, there's that, you would think that, that there's something wrong within. There's a toxin or something going on, and that is something trying to get out or met the manifestation of some, some deeper problem. What do they often do? Oh, just rub a steroid cream on it. You know, just treat it topically. And I don't know, man. Sometimes I wonder about the importance of these things, like beef liver and such. You know, in the old times, women even ate their placentas. You know, and I see that's coming around too. I, I, first time I heard of that happening recently in this area, I thought that that was a little bit curious and I looked into it and I'm like, oh, that's, that's, that's what animals do. And if you can stomach it, why not, right? But thank you, member. Thank you, John. That's a good point. Almost homesteading. Good to see you here. Welcome back. Writes, eyeballing an older Kawasaki Dual Sport, a KLR 250. Well, that is a good choice. I, that would be right high on my list. The KLR 250, local for sale. Fingers crossed, I will, it will make a fun toy in an emergency option. That's almost a near-perfect uh, bailout motorcycle right there, that KLR. Kawasaki and Honda are my two favorites. I've never really been into Suzuki's all that much. That's always been kind of the red-headed stepchild of the three. But the Kawasaki's and the Hondas are really good. But a KLR 250, that 250 dual-sported dirt bike, is a great, great option, man. What would be better? Every single Proho should have one of those things. Should have a pickup and one of those things. And you, man, you, it'll change your life. Change your life. Shout out to Almost Homesteading. Let us know how that comes. We'll like to see a picture of it as well. I hope you get it. Goodness, we have a super chat from PDUN98. Here we go. Do we, get, do we get the sound drops right on. <laughs> I, I hotkeyed him now, so I don't have to look at the little pointer. So I hope that, I hope that worked. Uh, he writes, riding along with a manager at the largest commercial HVAC company in the Mountain West next Friday. How can I sell myself as a good option for them to take on an aspiring uh, apprentice? Oh, that's a good, good question. Okay, two questions here. Let's take them one at a time. Uh, Mom's boyfriend is the president of sales for the company. Okay, so here's the scenario. So PETA98 wants a job. He's got the opportunity to do a ride-along with the manager at the largest commercial HVAC company. So that's commercial HVAC, heating, ventilation, and air conditioning. If it's commercial, it may or may not be union, but that's a good job. That's a good job and a job that it will is going to be in high, high demand. I would say, you know, to be honest, right after, my number one pick would be probably the electrical trades to get into. I would pick the electrical trades, number one. And number two, if, if we're talking about construction, would I go into plumbing or HVAC? I would go into HVAC, HVAC. I, that's always, I never have done it, but it's always been interesting to me. Tin knockers are pretty good dudes. And doing commercial, you'll be able to do some really cool work. It'll be, and it's kind of fun to be in an industry 
where you're on the cutting edge of technology. Because one thing that you'll probably be involved with on a commercial side of it is uh, like big server type of farms and that sort of thing. I'm, I'm assuming, I would imagine, you know, as Amazon builds these servers and Apple and Google and such, there's a lot of need for that, those services and cooling. I would imagine that that technology is changing and updating all the time. And it's fun to be on something that is always changing and cutting edge. So I think, that the, I think you're on the right track with that. So he's got the opportunity to ride along. He wants to offer himself as a, he wants to see if there's a, a job for him. Um, what's the relationship? Mom's boyfriend is the president of sales for the company. Okay, so he can get a good word in for you. The best way to get in with a company like that is a referral from the inside. No question about it. You have, you have an advantage that all of the people that may be putting applications in may not have. It's not that hard. All you've got to do is you've got to make a good first impression. And you have to remember that if you're asking someone to do this for you, your mom's boyfriend, he's sticking his neck out uh, to help you out with this. If he's in sales, you know, he's not even involved in the hiring process. But if he works there and if he's the head of sales, he most likely knows who is. So you have to remember that you have a really big responsibility that if you get this position to make sure you honor this man and show him the respect that he showed you by giving you an opportunity or, or giving a good word for you. He, he's going to be tied to you. He's basically co-signing for you in this company, just like someone would co-sign for an auto loan. You don't pay the auto loan, it dings your credit and their credit. And, they, and the, the bad thing about this, and, and I, I mean, a guy's gotta do what he's gotta do. If you think that this is the only way you have of getting in is through this, this connection that you have, then by all means, use it. However, understand that he has nothing to gain by doing this. All he's got is to lose. I mean, maybe he's got something to gain. Let's say five, 10 years down the road, you turn out to be a top guy. And you know, now you're running crews and, and you, now you become a project manager and, and you're an asset to the company. That could eventually be a feather in his cap, but that's, it's more likely you know, he's taking a big risk by if you don't pan out, if you're not a good worker, if you don't have a good work ethic, if you're not showing up on time, pulling your weight, it's gonna reflect poorly on him. So don't be surprised if he's reluctant to do this. If he's the head of sales, he's probably not a fool. He's probably a pretty smart guy and he knows this, what we're talking about. So with that understood, just be sympathetic to the position that you're putting him in and it's an unenviable position. No good deed goes, goes unpunished, you know, is the word. So with that said, uh, of course you wanna make a good first impression on him, but you probably already have. If you've been around him, if he's dating your mother, he's, a, he's in your life, uh, then he knows what type of guy you are. I find it unlikely that you, if you have, if you have made a positive impression on him, I don't know that there's a whole lot that you can change in a one day drive that he hasn't already decided on himself. In the same other way, if you have not been friendly or you know what I'm saying, right? So I'm gonna assume the best, but just just the basics, you know? Don't talk too much, don't be a know-it-all, don't pretend that you know his business, and, and listen. 
and ask questions and learn and soak it all up. Show up on time, be polite, be courteous. Also, make sure you don't dress, you dress in a way that doesn't embarrass him if he were to bring you onto a job site. Dress in a way that looks professional. You know, don't go over the top. You don't need to show up in a suit and tie. That would be ridiculous. But just, you know, what is he wearing? What does he wear to work? Just dress similar. Clean your nails, brush your teeth, you know, basic things, shave, get a haircut beforehand. Just look neat and just be interested and show up on time. Um, and that's what I do. It's not, it's not too hard. But if you do get the job, just remember to give credit where credit was due. Make sure you don't dishonor him and, and thank him and, and make sure he always knows that you appreciate what he did for you. And the best way you can do that is by um, doing a good job. Don't call in sick on Mondays. Don't uh, be the first one to leave and the last one to show up. You know, just the basics. It's not hard, man. But let us know, Pete, on how it went and if, if he offered you the internship because that's a good deal. That could, be, that could change your life, especially if you can get in at an internship and, get, um, and learn properly. And that's what's nice about the commercial trades. The commercial trades are, always seem to pay a little bit better than the residential. There even seems to be maybe a little bit better dudes working in there, maybe a little more experience sometimes. And the work is sometimes can be more interesting and they have better training typically. Usually if it's commercial HVAC or commercial electrical, they have a really solid apprenticeship program or training program. And I would do that. So yeah, if you're looking to get in the trades, those are two trades that I would consider. I would take that way before, HVAC, way before I would do concrete or roofing or framing or drywall or any of those. Stick with the electrical and the HVAC and the plumbing, of course, is another excellent, excellent um, location to get into. Shout out to you, P. Dunn. Mr. Greg Swanson, shout out to you. Come on now, Happy we'll do a job. Craig, Greg is on, a, I'm on an airplane and in hotels about half of the month. So he travels, he's on the road two weeks out of the month. Any tips on an EDC for someone always on the road? I will, as always, act accordingly, yes. Yeah, man, that's a hard, it's hard to do the, it's hard to do EDC on the airplane. I actually did a, a YouTube video on that. You know, when I think about EDC for an airplane, of course, that's gonna rule out any firearms, obviously, mace, um, knife, uh, knife uh, anything like that. What I do on, when I travel, I like to have something for personal defense, right? And what I take is a just a regular screwdriver. I take a regular screwdriver, and I believe I have a. Um, uh, you know, so here's the way I look at it. So I'll see, I see a lot of people showing up on planes, and they're wearing flip flops, and they're wearing. Uh, Pajamas, it's just, it's deplorable what people put on. It's, it's, when the Walmart crowd shows up to the airport, it just shocks me <laughs> what they do. But I, you know, I'm not talking, thinking that you need to wear a suit and tie to go to the airport. But as far as EDC, I, I'm always thinking air travel, the last few times I've traveled in, in the airports, it's been a miserable experience. A lot of delays, a lot of uh, just non conventional things happen deboarding planes. Uh, the last plane we were on, we had to get out and walk across the tarmac a long ways. It was freezing cold and raining and then get on a bus and here and there. So what I start with an EDC for travel, I look at first clothing, footwear and such. What can I wear that's going to be comfortable on the plane, but also protect me 
in, a, in an emergency, let's say that you know, the, you're, you're stuck in the plane for a long time. Let's say that you have to deboard and you're outside waiting for a bus. You know, do you want to be in pajamas and shorts and a t-shirt? You know, what happens if there's a water landing? You know, what happens if there's an emergency landing? Do you have clothing that will protect you? That sort of thing. So, you know, just basic common sense. You know, cotton, denim is always good. It's very tough fat fabric, resistant to um, fire, resistant to you know, tearing is going to offer you a certain level of protection. You know, have a coat. There's, there's no reason not to have uh, a warm layer. I always carry a warm layer when I carry on my carry-on. Those little down puffer jackets, you know, they, they compress down into nothing. It's always nice to have one of those on hand. And when it comes to EDCs, I, if I'm checking baggage, I will take knife and leatherman, that sort of thing, that I can, once I get to my destination, then I'll pull that out. But if I'm going fast and light, and I don't want to deal with that, and I'm just doing carry-on, I'll take a, a regular flat blade screwdriver. It gives me so many options. I mean, it would make a, it, it's a defensive weapon if need be. It would be better than not having anything. But if you had that in your hand, I mean, tell me, would you want to get stabbed in the neck with a screwdriver? You know, I, I would not. Probably rather get stabbed in, with a knife. So that will get you through T TSA. You won't have any problems with that. Um, you could also, um, I have also traveled with some zip ties. Uh, if you needed to res help restrain someone on an airplane or even a roll of electrical tape, uh, it's a good idea. I always, always carry my EDC flashlight. Uh, that's a nice thing to have. Uh, I always carry uh, Air AirPods with noise canceling. Um, you, know, you, can, you can have some pretty horrific experiences and noise in the plane, and that's always a good option. But you know, it's, you're really limited. There's not a whole lot of options and things you can take. Leatherman, I do believe, makes a multi-tool that does not have a blade in it that is designed for that, I believe. So you can look into that as well. But that's the basics, really. But flashlight, proper clothing, and I do take the screwdriver. That's one thing that I've been able to get through TSA uh, in my briefcase, and I've never had an issue with it. So it's tough, man. It's tough. What I've, what I've also done in the past is I can't stand not having a pocket knife. I think a man just as undressed without a pocket knife is just go and, and just buy a cheap one. You just buy some cheapo thing. It's a local marshals or wherever, you know, get a $15 knife. If I'm going to be there a week, I'll do, I'll definitely do that. Just leave it there. We have a super chat from Mr. Mason. Shout out to you, Mr. Mason. Must be Come mine. on now. I house. He says, do you still enjoy what the one wheel GT? I just ordered two GTs for me and my trad confiance per your recommendation. Yeah, you are going to absolutely love it. I, I, I do. I mean, it's right behind me here. Everybody's wondering what a GT is. This is one of the greatest things ever made. The one wheel GT. This is the about the third gen or so. This is the new the flagship model. And I absolutely love this sport. Why? Well, I like board sports. Grew up Grew up, grew up, my dad always had a ski boat, grew up slalom water skiing, uh, grew up on a houseboat. My dad, my folks bought a houseboat 
when I was, oh, I don't know, coming up into teen, a little after teenager or so. And so we water skied every morning down there. It was absolutely fabulous. So I, li I like that. Um, and I started sm snowboarding in 1987, uh, rode snowboards for a long, long time. Um, a, kite, a kiteboard, a wakeboard. So boards, board sports, skateboards, all the board sports are really familiar with me, familiar to me. So I, I kind of, that's where I'm coming from. But what's so cool about this sport is unlike so many other things that are so labor intensive, like if you want to go skiing, you know, there's a lot of process to that and a lot of expense. You want to go moto riding, you know, you got to load the bike up, you got to put all the gear, just putting the gear on takes a half hour, 45 minutes. Kiteboarding, et cetera. Everything is, everything almost takes a whole day, like a serious commitment. And you, if you want to go out of town, and enjoy these things. Now you got to haul all that gear around, or if you don't want to take it, then you have to go rent. And I mean, it just becomes, you get to the point where it's just not even worth it anymore. What's so awesome about the one wheel is all you need is, is nothing really. Safety equipment that I wear for that, I do wear wrist guards. I've had some horrible crashes on that. Wrist guards, gloves, and a bike helmet. I wouldn't ride without that. But what's cool about it, Throw your skate shoes on, regardless of where you're at. You've got an hour. You just want to get away. You want to get out, get away from the house. Jump on that thing. It is the best ever. It's absolute therapy. Put your headphones in and just go carving down the road. You can go anywhere you want. Uh, it's fabulous. And it's fabulous for travel. Here's a perfect example. So I always take my one wheel with me when we go out of town. If we're driving, it is absolutely with me. It's one of the best ways to explore new areas. If you're going to go to a new area and you want to go explore the downtown, it, I mean, it makes, it just makes everything fun. It makes, you can jump on the thing. I ride it right out of the hotel room, go in the elevator, I go down, and now I'm going around and I'm checking everything out. Checking the local coffee place, go down, is there water, check out the local park. The range on these things is incredible. It's about, it's over 20 miles, 20, 25, I think even maybe 27 miles on the thing. And for a rider at 200 pounds, it's amazing. And the top speed, faster than you want to go, I assure you. You won't have any trouble with that. But we're going to be going uh, in, a, well, I guess, a week or two. We've got one of Jack's big debates. It's out of town. So what I do is Jack will be in that thing, you know, 14 hours a day. I don't necessarily want to sit in there for 14 hours uh, while I'm waiting for his rounds. And so what I do is I take my one wheel, and it's so simple. I just grab that, put my skate shoes on, throw my bike helmet on, and I'm going, and I get to explore and find things, and it's great. It's great for your uh, fitness as well. It's good for your balance. It builds really good core strength. And what I did the last time, last time we were at Jack's debate, I took my one wheel out and I signed on to the app. They've got a really cool app that you can download, and that uh, if you toggle where you want to be made public, your air, you know, your your GPS location then you can look and see everyone else that has one wheels and you can per, you can personal message them. So what I did is uh, I looked in the area and I see people one wheel riding around. You can either ride to them. And when you see another dude on a one wheel, you immediately have a friend, you know, because it's kind of kind of that way, you know, like Jeeps and motorcycles. And so I use the app and then I, uh, I go and enjoy group rides. And that's super fun, too. Then you get to people in the area to take you around. So you will love it. You will absolutely love it. If you are not, if, if you are somewhat athletic, I mean, not like a world-class athlete, but you, you, know, you can ride a bike and you can ride motorcycles and stuff, it takes about an hour. About an hour to, I wouldn't say to master it, 
but to feel comfortable where you can start enjoying it. If you're a super Chad, you know, you can be on it in 30 minutes. But it's actually, the learning curve is really, really simple. You can start slow. Um, you can just work around. It's, they're great, man. Uh, they're absolutely great. And the new one, the one that you ordered, the GT, that's this one. This one is head and shoulders above the XR. Get the traction tire, too, if you have it. Awesome machines. Awesome. It's one of my favorite things to do. If I had to, if I had to have two hobbies, I could only, like, things that I did, it would be, I'd pick the one wheel, and I'd pick my, the moto, dirt bike. Everything else. I, if I never snowboarded or skied or kiteboarded or snow biked again or any of that, um, those would be my two. You're going to be stoked, Mr. Mason. Goodness. Overton Windex for 20. Good grief. How about that? Welcome, Mr. Overton. Overton writes, tips to help not break the rules. I accidentally carried one of those knives that fold out of a key on an airplane 38 times over nine years. That's funny. Check your keychain. Don't want to break the rules. That's a very interesting, interesting thing. So, of course, you would not want to do that. You would not want to get one of those knives uh, that fold out on, out of a small key on your keychain. Um, even though Overton got through 38 times, uh, you would never want to do that. That would be very irresponsible. It would be very irresponsible for one of the middlemen also to put a link to this illegal device up there. Maybe you should throw that up there so we can all see what you should not carry to the airport. I'll, I, I, I uh, got to the airport a couple years ago. No, it was Jack. That's what it was. It was Jack. Jack, we went to the airport, and right before we went through security, Mrs. W was going over everything. Are you sure you got everything, Jack? You know? And then we found out he had his Swiss Army knife. <laughs> he had a Swiss Army knife on me. And it was the one I gave to him, you know, as he was a kid. So it was, it was sentimental and special. Well, you know they're going to take it from you and throw it away. And it was, uh, I had like 60 seconds to figure out what to do with this. And I, I looked around, looked around, I couldn't figure it out. And there was a, um, a Panda Express. There was a Panda Express in the airport right next door to as we were going in. And they had... Uh, I, I ran over there and I was looking around like, can I hide it in a plant? Can I hide it somewhere? And I, and I, I ended up lifting up one of the cushions. Uh, they have those uh, boos. Lifting up one of the cushions uh, and stuffing it, kind of stuffing it underneath in the framing. Uh, and when we came back, it was still there a week later. <laughs> so <laughs> that's how I did it. I saved, I saved Jack's knife. But good point, Mr. Overton. Very good point. We have a super chat from our friend, Herc2. One, zero. Must Shout out nice. to you. Must be nice to have a super chat. Who writes, aspiring India, Indiana Proho and hopefully member soon. At age 31, my gen is the pajama generation. Is that who's doing it? Yeah, that's about right. Can't stand it. Thank you for the content and the community. Yeah. Yeah. Air travel. Is there anything worse than air travel currently? It, it, it's so bad. I... I don't. I almost. I almost think that it's by design. Are they intentionally trying to make make us as uncomfortable and make the process as terrible as possible? I have. I had probably the worst TSA experience I've ever had when Mrs. W and I went down to California. Was it two weeks ago? Do you ever just? 
are you ever passive aggressive? <laughs> when you, when you, have you ever been in a situation where you know you can't say anything? If you were to say anything or have a smart mouth or push back in any way, it would never go well for you. You know, there's just, there's no, absolutely no upside. And when you find, when you find yourself in that situation, when you're with the, some of the, the low hanging fruit that they bring on for the TSA, and when they start power tripping on you, it's a very difficult thing to deal with. Now, I had, when we first had started to deal with TSA, when they first put up all the scanners and all of that, you know, I was indignant about it. It was, it made me so angry to have to go through this dog and pony show. And then, once I kind of settled in and realized, well, you know, it's, if, if I'm only hurting myself, you know, they don't care. They, so many people come through here that just put your head down, just ignore them and just get through the process, right? So I try to go in there with a good attitude. I try to be friendly and, and I understand it's a difficult job and they have to deal with a bunch of, uh, of morons, but you know, I'm trying not to add to the whole thing. But man, I just, I could not help myself this last time. So I go, I go through, I give them my ID, right? And then they have the, the turns, they have the, those little aisles right there and everybody kind of funnels in and you pick one of them, right? And then they've got the conveyor belt with all those gray bins you've got to put everything in and now you need about 14 bins because your computer has to go in one bin your ipad has to go in a separate bin your phone has to go in a third bin your shoes have to go in one your you know etc etc so you know, i've got like six bins right so i'm trying to I'm putting all these things in there and and so i'm standing in line waiting for that spinner machine right to go around Mrs. W's in front of me. There's someone inside of it. I'm standing there. And then there's this big, giant, probably 300-pound African-American woman that's very loud and very angry and shouting, quite, quite rude, just sh shouting at everyone. And, you know, I'm at the point where there's one person in front of me. I know how to do it. The little yellow feeder on the ground, you know, I'm looking at it. I've got my shoes off and, and, and such. She turns to me and, and she says, sir, step forward. And I'm looking at my wife. She's in front of me. I'm like, if I step forward, I'm going to run into her. This doesn't even make sense. I'm fine where I'm at. You know, I'm, I'm like this far from her. Step forward? Why would I step forward? So I just ignore her. I can intentionally ignore her. Sir? She, you know, and there's not, black women can get loud. She gets louder and louder. She finally comes over and she's screaming screaming at me like right here to step forward and I just decided to pretend I was deaf. <laughs> she got madder and madder and madder and then finally it was my turn to walk through there and I walked through there just ignored her, didn't even look at her. So I'm like, oh, good grief, if they, couldn't even, could it get any worse than that? So then I get in the machine, right? You get in the machine, you look down, there's these little yellow things right there and you stand up and the thing goes around, right? Got my socks on, you have to take your shoes off, right? Put my feet on the yellow deals, right? They're probably covering two thirds, almost all of it. I mean, there may be like a, 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 maybe a one inch on the outside of the yellow right there, and I'm standing, it's close enough, right? It doesn't really make any difference. Well, the other guy starts shouting at me. He shouted at me, he told me, move your feet, move your feet. You know, and it's not like speaking to someone so, I mean, I'm not even asking them to speak respectful. If they were just to speak to me like a human being, but just the barking of orders and the condescending attitude and the power tripping, when, I, when I'm exposed to that 
and I just think, man, I have, it, it's, air travel is so dehumanizing. You know, I've paid a lot of money for these airline tickets and, and to make this happen. You know, I'm a customer here and yet I have to be treated this way. And so I, I was, what I did was he would tell me to move my feet and I would move them like this much. <laughs> and then he would shout again, louder, and I'd move them like this much. And we did that about seven or eight times. So it took me, finally I got my foot out where it, it, it was sufficient to him that I covered the yellow foot spots uh, where he could let me through. He was so angry and so indignant that at the end of that, that he had to punish me. So then I got the full pat down, which was what I was hoping for. Because then you can really have some fun with him. And then I'm just, as he's talking to me and explaining how he's going to pat me down and do this and that, I, I was asking him questions like, so you enjoy these pat downs, don't you? you know, and and I'll, I won't go into all the details of the conversation that we had, but uh, by, the time I was, uh, by the time I was out of there, I'd maintained my cool. And there were two TSA agents, I think, that were pretty happy that I was moving on. But the dehumanizing nature of air travel, it must be intentional. Uh, and there must be someone up there that makes these decisions that just laugh at us. If it wasn't for Mrs. W, I'll tell you, I wouldn't even, I don't think I would, air, I don't think I would even travel by air anymore. I have many friends that have drawn a line and say, that's it. I'm not doing it anymore. I'm not going to be humiliated. I'm not going to deal with these morons at the TSA. I'm not going to deal with the the cramped seats and the surly airlines stewardess, whatever it, it's, I would, if it wasn't for her, I would just drive or I wouldn't go anywhere that I had to go where I flew. I think a lot of people feel that way. Tell me in the comments, give me sevens. Are you done with air travel? Have you experienced the same indignities that I have? It's absolutely deplorable. We have a super chat from Madrox 303. Shout out nice. to you, Madrox. He says the P-38 can opener goes fine on a key ring through the TSA in Minecraft. Yeah. A P-38 can opener is a handy tool, but I'll tell you that in my entire life of 54 years, I've never had the need of one. I know everyone throws them in their first aid kits and that's been a staple in the past, but when would you need one? Why would you need one? I don't know. I guess I don't eat a lot of canned food. If you eat a lot of canned food, maybe that's the case. But who travels with canned food? It's too heavy. But that's good to know. You can put a P-38 can opener through the Minecraft TSA. Shout out to you, Madrex. We have another super chat from our friend Overton. Come on now. Must be nice. Must be nice to house. He says, I'm being told Vans partnered with Pendleton to make skate shoes from board shirt wool. Pro-ho one-wheel footwear. Oh, that's a very good that's be very good thing to look into. Pendleton and Vans are cooperating together. I love my Pendleton. You know Pendleton shirt, if you look at the beach that iconic Beach Boy album. Now the Pendleton shirt, if you don't know, Pendleton is in Pendleton Woolen Mills started in Oregon and still made from Oregon sheep. They, the woolen mills are not too far from here and they make some of the most beautiful wool patterns you've ever seen and really, really nice wool. I think wool is my among especially when it's cold is my it's my favorite it's my favorite article of clothing uh, to wear it's a favorite material because it it's always warm it it's warm and it's a natural fiber and so it agrees with me 
a lot of people do not like wool or don't think they like wool because they wore something long ago that was scratchy and irritated them. And I'll admit, though some of those first Pendleton shirts were really, really scratchy, but they've gotten it down where it's really soft now. And you might go back and try it. One of the one one thing that every one of you should have someday, it should be on your bucket list, is to get a Pendleton board shirt. The board shirt is one of my favorite articles because it it is uh, it's not a shirt and it's not a coat. It's uh, it's kind of right in between. It's uh, something that is cut generously in size that you can put over a denim shirt or a flannel, and and you can. You don't have to take it off when you go into places. It just it, it breathes so well, breathes so well, and the design is so good that it's just it's that perfect thing for those who live in colder climates, especially if you live in a cold, moist climate. That's where wool and those tweeds and all those those articles of clothing really shine. You, you just take Britain for example. You know, London has a very similar weather to Portland in that you have all of that cold, damp. Uh, moist air that comes off the coast, you know, because it's an island nation. And so the reason why you see all those old guys, you know, in the wool and the tweed hats and all that stuff is because that's a, it's, it's a tailor-made, it's a, that's the evolution of the clothing that works in that cold, damp environment. And that's why it's so popular here in the Pacific Northwest. Pendleton wool, Pendleton shirts are just iconic with, um, even with the kids, even with like the skaters who wore them for years, they've always been like a real staple for the Portland crowd. You see them, uh, you see a lot of business people that wear, uh, that, that even wear the Pendleton shirts underneath businesses. Uh, they're, just, they're, they're just iconic and they're, they're a fabulous fabric. But if you want the first Pendleton you should get is uh, the Pendleton blanket. Get yourself a Pendleton blanket. Uh, get the travel version. It's like four foot by six foot really small, just rolls up, keep it in your truck. You'll be amazed how many times you use that, how nice that is when it's cold in the wintertime. I, people make fun of me. When I, I have two of them in my truck, I don't get out of my truck from about, I would say probably October to May, I don't get out of my truck without that blanket draped over my home. If we're gonna go to a coffee shop, I take it. This is W and I sit together, we put it on our lap. I wrap the sweet loaf in it because she jumps in a truck and never has her coat or doesn't have, you know, whatever. It just, I can't tell you how many times I use that thing. It, it doesn't seem like a like an EDC item that would be of anything that you would want or have missed in life, but it, it is a fabulous thing to have. And those tend the blankets. I'd have one of those, keep that in your truck, and then what you want to get is a board shirt. Get the original Pendleton board shirt. You'll know it because it has two pockets, it's generously cut, and I have to have all the different patterns, you can get it any color you want. The pockets do not have buttons on them, they're, they're flat pockets. So that's really nice, so you can put stuff in it, you can throw your phone in there, you don't have to unbutton stuff. But the iconic thing, what you're looking for, oops, you have to stop. Buzzy. Bad audio, man. I
Okay. Gentlemen, give me sevens if that audio cleaned up. Are we better? Okay, sorry about that. I don't know what happened. Weird, weird. Anywhere. So what you're looking for is the Pendleton board shirt. Put that on your bucket list and you'll know it because it's got the little, it has the buttonholes are all the way up, but the top has a small piece of cord. Yeah, it looks like we've got a piece of cord. That's the one you want. That's the exact same shirt that you'll see on the Beach Boys album cover, that iconic Beach Boys cover where they were all four of them carrying a surfboard and walking along. We've all seen it before. They were really the ones that, that made, well, I don't know if they made, they adopted the shirt that was already popular with the West Coast crowd, and it was it really became iconic after that. We have a super chat from our friend, Freedom Fighter 73, shout out to you, who says the TSI, T TSA's drone-like mentality comes from their external low hiring standards. Yeah. You know, I mean, everyone understands that. No one, no one wants to talk about it or say it, but they, it's the truth of the matter. It is absolutely, yeah, I mean, you can, I don't know where they get these people. Um, is it? Do they intend, are they intentionally looking for low-hanging fruit or do they, is the pay so low that that's the only sort of people that it attracts? Because I, I mean, it's just, it, that's just the truth of it. It, it is. It, it seems intentional. I don't know how else you could look at it. If it starts at the hiring process that we're going to look for the, the least intelligent, the lowest capable, the, the least motivated, and, and to staff the ranks with that, I mean, it's what it seems like. I don't know how else you can look at it. I mean... I know everyone's got to have to have a job, but man, when you're having someone that's interfacing with the public on that level, you, it would be nicer to have someone that had some basic training and some common courtesy and not someone that, that is power tripping and shouting at you. Oh, I just absolutely despise air travel. We have a super chat from our friend, Tony. Shout out to you, Tony. Welcome. Good to see you here. And uh, the big sass. Shout out to you, the Big Sass, as well as Alien Z. We have a comment from Alien Z who says, oh, goodness, we have a, we're, we're going to go big here. $20 from Alan Z. Did I say Alien? Alan Z. Shout out to you, Alan. Alan says, my wife is black and I'm white and our girls 5 and 13 are very light skinned. She was traveling with them a few weeks ago and the Atlanta TSA was questioning if they were her kids and sent them for additional screening. Unbelievable. I can't even imagine how offensive that would be. You know, Mrs. W, it's, it shocks me, the stupidity of people. I, I see that, I see that all the time. I see that all the time. We have friends, we have a lot of friends that have adopted multiracial, multiracial families and they get the same thing. Oh, they automatically make assumptions and they say, that, I mean, it's one thing to think something in your mind. You know, you have every right to think that, but man, there's got to there's got there's got to be a time when you when you just keep it there and come out and do something like that. How ridiculous! You know that's one thing that I told you. We were talking a little bit yesterday about Mrs. W and I when we. This was a long time ago, but we were considering maybe adopting through the foster care system. And when you go into that process, you have to fill out a lot of different questionnaires when it comes to 
when they're figuring out placing, you know, would you be willing to take sibling groups? Would you be willing to take um, um, children from a different ethnic group, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? And Mrs. W and I talked about that uh, quite a bit before we made the decision. You know, one thing that we were questioning was one of our questions is, would we take um, children, would we adopt through the foster care system um, African-American or black children? And before we made that decision, you know, we had a long conversation about it, talking about exactly this, because Mrs. W pointed out the fact that she goes, you know that if we do this, um, there's going to be, we're going to have to answer a lot of questions. There's going to be people, when we go out in public, they're going to say stupid things, they're going to make stupid assumptions, and we're going to have to deal with this for a long time. Are you, you know, she, she knowing who I am and how I just, can't suffer fools, are you going to be able to, to deal with that? Is that something that's going to get to you, having to deal with, with these questions of people coming up? Oh, is this your, you know, you know, all of the ignorance that comes up. You know, and we talked about it and thought about it for a long time and, and um, ultimately decided that we would. You know, we would take whatever, you know, sibling group. We wouldn't break up kids in a family. If an opportunity came up for Hispanic kid, African-American kid, you know, wouldn't have made it, Native American, wouldn't have made any difference. I would have done it. But I understand that, that I, not like you do, Alan, you have to live with that and deal with that. But it's, yeah, it's annoying. I mean, can we not in this time, with the way things are, especially in this country, is it not reasonable to think that there may be multiracial marriages? And it would not be reasonable to think that the offspring of multiracial <laughs> Families are going to look a certain... I mean, it's... Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. Of all people, too. I'll bet she was absolutely incensed. Oh, shout out to you, Alan. We have a super chat from Mr. John Colwert. He's been a member with us for two months. Great stream. Well, thank you. Thank you. We're, we're struggle streaming again, gentlemen. We are definitely struggle streaming again. We have... A super chat from Kel Vaughn. He's, 26, he's a 26-year-old single male, a tradesman. The best life advice. Let's go back. Let's go back a few years to when I was 26. Let me, my memory is not very good. I always, look to the, I always just look forward. I never look in the past much. But at, where was I at 26? At 26, at 26, I was... Running, I had a small excavating business. I had, uh, yeah, I had a 19, I had a 1969 Diamond Rio uh, traditional uh, semi, traditional cab. It had a 300 Cummins in it, and I had a 40 foot Fontaine drop deck trailer. And I had a 120 excavator, and uh, I think that was it, and my pipe truck. So I was working in the trades doing, uh, doing construction, working by myself. Um, if I could go, so if I was going to go back and I had an hour to talk to myself, what would I do differently? What I would do differently is at that age when I was 26 to... You know, I don't know, up until I met Mrs. W. It seems like my whole life ambition was um, pursuing 
what was attention was on girls, dating, you know, trying to find a suitable mate for that. And my business and even, you know, well, yeah, maybe even my hobbies to a certain extent, the things I like to do were secondary around that. And I think back on that, what an absolute monumental waste of time that was. Um, and what I could have accomplished had I had a, 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 what I had, had a plan, had I had a goal. Okay, why are you chasing these girls around? Why are you spending so much time, money, resources in, in the, this revolving door? Um, and my business is hurt. Uh, suffered from it, and it was. I, I just spent an inordinate amount of time on that. I just didn't understand that that's not where happiness is. I didn't understand that that's not where satisfaction is going to come from. It's wonderful to have a mate. It's wonderful to to find a trad con that you can marry, to have children, and do all of that. But I would put that off. I. Uh, you know, if I could go back, that would be the number one advice that I would give you is to get your biology under control, to wake up and to realize how dangerous getting involved with these women can be right now. And you've got to get, what I would tell you is focus your time and your money on building your life. Saving money or building a business, or buying a piece of property and building a home, whatever it is, it doesn't make any difference. What, whatever, what you're trying to do is you're trying to build the life that you want. And the, life that, the, the happiest life that a man can live is when you have choices. And how do you get choices in life? You get choices in life, what, what buys choices is money. Money can't buy happiness. Well, maybe, maybe not. There is, there is truth to that. But money, what money can do is buy choices. What do I mean by choices? Choices as to where you live, the quality of people you're around, choices as to what type of vehicle you drive, whether it's new or an old piece of garbage, choices of the food that you eat, the vacations that you, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It gives you choices. When you have money and you have something established, you don't have to put up with any BS from anyone. You don't have to put up with BS from bosses. You don't have to put up with BSs from family members or from women or anything because you're never operating in desperation. If you're just paycheck to paycheck, if you're just grinding and trying to live the American dream and, and making all these payments, you got a car note and, and this and credit cards and student loans on that, I mean, you're really not living. You're just existing and you're just trying to keep your head above water. At 26, the energy, and I can look back on this now, the, at, at, when I'm 54, the energy to get out and to work hard and to put in the effort and the time. You can put 18, I used to do it, 16 hours, 18 hour days in, and you're no worse from the wear. If you could get alcohol out of your life and you could focus on a goal that I want to be free and clear, I want to own a home, land, homestead, whatever, by 30, and that that's your mission, and focus on that, stay away from the girls, get a hold of your biology, grind, commit five, six, maybe even if it's 10 years to this goal of, of getting yourself established financially, everything paid for. Man, I'll tell you what, at 26, when you look into the future, you think that 35, that 40, is that that's just ancient and it's old, but it's not.
you're going to be a lot better man at those ages. You're going to have a lot more experience. You're going to have a lot more wisdom. And you're just going to have a confidence and a swagger that you don't, that you just can't have when you're younger. If you do what I'm telling you to do and you establish yourself. If you are just not beholden to anyone. Not carrying debt around. Don't owe anyone a bunch of stuff. You're not forced to go to a job that you hate because you're so buried in debts and obligations and, and payments and toys and credit cards. You know, that, that's, that's the thing. That's what I fought, I fought with for so long. You know, just treading water and never getting ahead, working so hard, where if I would have, could, could have had a, like an end goal, 35 and I'm done. Like at 26, so if I, right now, if I could be, if I had 10 years, I could retire in 10 years. If that was all I could do, if I was your age at 26, I could make that happen to get yourself in a position. And, and man, I'll tell you, man, when you're in your 30s, in 40s, that's really, even in your 50s, it's the best time of your life. You just have a calmness, a calmness and a confidence, especially if you're established financially. Once you get in that position, and you can explore anything, you'll, have the, you'll be able to start a second career if you wanted to. You'll be able to have your pick of, um, of a much higher quality mate than you're going to have when you're 26 because you don't have a lot of resources. It's just the life advice that I would give you is be patient. Be patient, know what you want, and go get it. And just keep your expenses to a minimum. Get pride out of it. If you're driving a new truck with payments, you don't need that. The only reason why I drove, I spent so much money on vehicles and upgrades and all that stuff was to impress other people. And if I would have taken that money and, and worked on that, put that towards a business or savings, I would have been so much better off. Because really, all of that stuff, the expensive clothing, the jewelry, uh, the flashy cars, the expensive apartment in a nice part of town. Do you know why all that is necessary? All that is necessary to try to attract a mate. I mean, that's really what it comes down to it. Because if you get, just get dudes together that are not competing in that way, that there's no women around to impress or anything like that, what are you living in? Man, you can live in the back of your pickup. You can live, you can live in a camper. You can have a one-room um, flop house with a futon and an Xbox. I mean, I mean, really, you don't need that much. And just think of what you can save. But I just could think about the money that was spent just to impress people uh, that I didn't care about me and that I don't care about anymore. Uh, what a waste. What a waste. So get on your grind. Focus on yourself. Take care of your health. Take care of your body so that when you're 30 and 40 that you're ready to, to, you're ready to slay. Ready to slay life. And then you'll have freedom and options. And options are everything. We have a super chat from B, Padden Maintenance and Repair. Goodness, shout out to you. Thank you, brother. Good to see you here. Who writes, howdy, fellow P Pacific Northwest resident here. Worried about government Inslee's semi-auto ban. Anyways, I have several Bofang repeaters in my area. I would like to set up a Proho frequency. Does a Proho frequency exist? Yeah, good questions. So, yeah, so if you don't know what he's talking about, I think it's scheduled to happen today that our, in some people's opinion, traitorous, traitorous governor is going to sign a semi-automatic weapons ban in the state of Washington. We will no longer be able to buy anything semi-automatic. That includes Ruger 1022, any Glock pistols, certainly ARs, anything like that. It's happening. Now... 
Will it stand? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Will there be challenges in court? Yeah, absolutely, most likely. So there's a good chance it'll be overturned. But to be honest, you know, I've been asked this question a lot. Oh, aren't you upset? Aren't you mad? Aren't you going to do a video on this? You know, whatever. To be honest, I don't really care. Um, I think a lot of us, and you can probably relate, are beyond beyond the point of caring about what they do and their laws and such. We live in an area that is patrolled and the jurisdiction is, is uh, that of the, the county sheriffs. I know the county sheriff. I know several of the deputies. There's only, it's a very small department. There's probably four or five of them for a, a massive area. So there's very little coverage. You, you never even see them here. The sheriff has come out publicly and stated on the record we will not enforce anything that we deem to be unconstitutional, and that would be any sort of confiscation or any sort of a weapons ban. So they've come out and and basically said, we are not going to enforce any of this. We're not going to look in your house. We're never going to do it. Um, We disagree with this. We're all all like-minded. You know, he's a big Second Amendment guy as well. And furthermore, he has told all of the residents... Um, by public posting, essentially, is that if any feds show up to your house to try to question you or enforce any of these unconstitutional unconstitutional edicts, um, you call us and we will come and arrest them, at least. At least we'll escort them off. Uh, But if we have to, we'll arrest them as well. So... That's one nice thing about living in the rural areas is, is that the local government see, sees things very different. You can see the disconnect between the laws that are being made in Olympia from the leftist lunatics uh, compared to the common sense people that live in the country. Would there be anything better than having some guys from some fed show up to your house and to call the local sheriff and say, you know, I've got some guys that are trying to uh, you know, want, want to, or, or trespassing on my property and, and they're armed and, and can you send someone out there? Wouldn't it be something to see them hauled off in handcuffs? <laughs> Is it going to happen? Probably not, but that would be a wonderful thing. Uh, but I don't, you know, I don't really care, uh, to be honest with you. Um, I think that we are entering into a, a time in this country where there's a lot of people that have decided to practice civil disobedience. And what that looks like, you know, let every man be convinced in his own mind. He'll have to determine that. Now, I'm not advocating breaking any laws. Of course, we should follow every law that comes down from our our ruling officials. Uh, But um, sometimes there are just things that, that I believe are just rights that just cannot be encroached. And that is a man's right, a woman's right to defend themselves and their home. Uh, And because someone makes an edict far away in a place that you have no interest in, well, I'm not too overly concerned about it. I'll do what I do. Following the laws, of course. But I think there's a probably pretty good chance that 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 is going to be overturned. Wouldn't surprise me. Regarding a proho frequency, yes. So I talked to, uh, we, we talked about that yesterday. 
all of the radios and the three radio kit that's, that's going to come up is going to be, those are going to be, we're going to have a, a private, well, not a private, but it's a public frequency, but it'll be a common frequency. So if you're on that frequency and another ProHo member's got the radio pack, you'll be able to talk to him. If you guys were to come here for an event and you brought your radios, you would already be programmed onto a channel where we could all communicate and talk to one another. So that's going to be cool. I thought that was a, going to be a really fun and great feature. So regardless of where you're at, let's say uh, East Coast guy's got the three radio pack and guy from Montana's got one. They decide to get together, go on a ride somewhere or do something, go shooting. They bring their radios. They'll have a frequency that they can talk together on. So that's going to be awesome. Super chat from Gamer Dave. Shout out to you, Gamer Dave. Welcome. Gamer Dave, Dave writes, Hey, Cody, hope all is well. Do you or any others here still eat pork? As we are not supposed to. We'll have to think of something else to fry on my camping stove when fishing. Yeah, no, we do not eat pork. Pork, if we go back to the Old Testament, the Levitical law, this is a, always a very controversial subject. This is, there's going to be a lot of people that jump in here immediately and start quoting scripture out of context uh, to try to convince me otherwise. But I've done the work on this. It, it's, it's, without, it's unquestionable. Pork is not suitable for food. Why? Pork is a scavenger animal. There are clean and unclean foods. We have all of those laid out in the Le Levitical law. We have, um, you know, choose the cud, you know, the cleft foot, all of that sort of thing. Why is that? Well, God has separated that is because there are scavengers and there are clean, more clean food. You know, what's a scavenger? That's going to be your shellfish, crabs, lobsters, uh, crustaceans, mussels. It's going to be uh, cats, uh, lions, tigers, um, dogs, wolves. Uh, you know, anything that would be, uh, would not be horse, anything that's not suitable to eat, clean and unclean animals. Pork is, is, is not healthy for you. P pork is full of all sorts of um, uh, worms and, and, and things, and it's just not, not something that, that should be eaten. The Jews don't eat it, and Christians who follow the 66 you might want to take a look at that. We made the switch years ago. I grew up eating pork. It was we ate pork almost every meal. Pork chops, bacon every morning. I, I get it. It was a hard thing. To, it was a hard thing to kind of walk away from. But once I made aware of it, was made aware of it, and I started reading and studying myself. I realized, you know, I'm not going to eat this. God lays out these these instructions for us not because he want not because he wants to put upon us an arbitrary test of obedience, but he realizes these are not healthy for you. This is not good for you to eat this. This was never designed for food. This is a scavenger that's required. We have to have animals on this planet that eat and clean up things uh, or decomposing animals and you know all the stuff would be laying around and piling up. So I get it, I, under I understand all that. So what the substitute for us has been, if you like bacon uh, and you know how to cook it properly, uh, turkey bacon. Turkey bacon is an option. Uh, take that with you. And if you practice with it, you can make it, and it's hard to dif differentiate between that and pork bacon. So that's what we do. Yeah. Yeah. How long before we get someone dropping the Bible verse on us about Peter, Peter's dream, and the sheet of animals that were lowered down, all of the unclean animals, and the Lord telling him, Peter, arise, kill and eat. 
won't take long. We have a super chat from Mr. Joe, J-O, Joe A-O Santos. Goodness. Shout out to you. Welcome. Thank you for that. That's very generous of you, brother. He writes, just popped in to say that as a fellow Christian from Portugal, few evangelicals, I would imagine, I admire your faith and outspokenness. I also came from a cult-like church. It's amazing how God can turn that around for good if we give him a chance. Yeah, 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 it is. It is. I was surprised uh, to hear, after sharing this, my story, or the story of growing up in a Christian cult from the time I was, I was born into it, until I was well, probably about 20 or so, just under 20 when I left, I, I was surprised um, how many people had a similar experience to that. And I've had a lot of people ask me, well, it sounds like you grew up in the Mennonites or Jehovah's Witness or Christian Science. And it was none of that. It was non-denominational. I don't know of anything like it. It was just an independent, crazy group of people uh, that for, I don't know how they all stayed together for so long, but they did. Um, and that's the environment that I was raised in. But I heard, and it's still here, I get emails at least one or two a week from people that have watched that video and come back and say, yeah, this has been my experience. It was actually quite spooky how similar it was, uh, the experience that you did, and I could really relate to that. Yeah, Portugal, Portugal. We have a brand new member, Mr. Daniel Fulmer. Welcome, Daniel. Good to have you here. We'll give you a little drop there. But thank you, J.O. That's a very, very, very generous of you. Northern Man, Northern Man, best Proho affordable mechanical watch. Good question. Best affordable mechanical watch. I would say, here's what I would get. If I wanted to, if I'm thinking affordable, I'm thinking like trying to keep it at $100 or so, right? Um, I would look into a Seiko 5. The Seiko 5 series, maybe one of the middlemen can pull up what the five means. I, I should know what it means. When Se Seiko is a great watch company, they, um, they make some of the finest watches in the world. Actually, they have a line, a premium line, maybe you're not aware of, I wasn't until a few years ago, called the Grand Seiko. And the Grand Seiko watch is on par with the finest Rolexes as far as fit and finish. And they're very expensive. They're absolutely beautiful. I don't own one, but I, I would love to have if you want to see one of the prettiest watches ever made, look up the Seiko, the Grand Seiko Snowflake watch. It's a white face with blue dials, and it's absolutely stunning. So Seiko has works at the highest level, Japanese watchmaker. They really pioneered the quartz watch, uh, which was the first electrics. Um, but they also have always make, they make in-house a lot of um, their own mechanical movements, which are absolutely fabulous. But I would say that without a doubt, one of the very best watches uh, that's currently available that you could get that's, that would cover that, that would be mechanical, meaning it's an automatic wind. A mechanical watch, if you don't know, like this, this watch is mechanical, there's a, a counterbalance inside. And as you move your wrist, this thing rolls around and around. And that keeps the, the watch spring wound. Mechanicals are very popular because of the, well, just the incredible craftsmanship that goes into making them. They're, they're very interesting in that way. But not having a battery 
appeals to a lot of people because if you're in a situation where having a watch and knowing what time it is is critical, i.e., let's say like a field watch or military, you know, before computers and phones and all of this, if you were going to coordinate uh, an action or an attack, you know, that was a that's why it's so important. That's why you see officers with war watches and why they have expensive, nice watches, because this would have been an essential piece of equipment. You have a meeting in the morning at the headquarters. You're going to go over here and coordinate an attack here on the enemy's flanks, and you're going to be up over here. Now, they're all coordinating these things by time. And if, you're, if your watch is not working, you know, that's a problem. So having, I think the theory was having an automatic watch that was reliable and tough was a critical piece of equipment, just like a compass would have been. And so the automatic was really the only game in town, but it's still, it's still popular with a lot of people in those situations because of the reliability of it. A, a, a quartz watch, you know, the battery could go dead at any time, you know, unless you're really di diligent about swapping it out every three, four, five years, you know. So that, that's kind of the idea. So if you're wondering what a mechanical watch is and why it's still relevant, it's just people like it. It's just cool. People like the craftsmanship of it and just the reliability of it. So the Seiko 5 line, I believe, is still automatic. And there's five things that need to be on every Seiko 5. It was, um, it was kind of um, uh, an idea come up with the founder of Seiko that he wanted to order or be, wanted to make available a high-quality watch that had five things. It was going to have, I think it had, I don't know, time, date, automatic, I can't remember all five things, but they're usually around $100 or so, and they really are nice watches. That's what I would, I would look into one of those. If you want to go on the used market, and I think one of my favorite watches is one of the coolest watches that was ever made, and why they don't make them anymore is beyond me, but Seiko made a watch called the, the SKS, I believe, SKS. Uh, it traditionally had a blue and red bezel, a rotating bezel, like a dive watch, and I believe they were automatic as well, and they sold, I, I kicked myself for not buying one. I looked at them, I had them in my shopping cart so many times and I never bought one, and you can, used to be able to buy them for $200, they're a little bit more, but look on eBay and see if you can get a, one that's lightly used or one that's new, uh, that's just old stock. And that is a fabulous watch. I, they're probably going to go for double that now, but even at three or four hundred dollars, I think it would still be worth it. But that's what I would recommend. Um, Hamiltons are also nice. I have a Hamilton here, a Hamilton khaki. I can show you some of my watches. No, oh, I don't know, man. Maybe I don't have the Hamilton. Nope. Nope, I didn't, I didn't bring the Hamilton. I'll show you a couple cool ones, though. Um, here's another. If you wanted to step up a little bit uh, and get a really cool, really for the money, this is, a, this is an excellent watch. I think these are still made in Canada with Swiss uh, movements. But this is, the, this is the Marathon. They make a, a Marathon. I think it's a T-SAR. Is that going to focus? My camera's not focusing. Either that or I need my glasses. I just need my glasses. So number one, I would look at Seiko 5s. Uh, look at an, maybe an SKS. 
Um, if you wanted to jump up a little bit, one of my favorites is if you want a really tough watch. I, I like overbuilt, super, super tough watches because I ruin and break everything. I've, I've still yet to find a watch. This is the really, these are the only two watches that I haven't been able to break. Even my Explorer is, the pins come out of it. I can't wear it on a motorcycle or anything, but these two are tough. So this is a Seiko. This is a Seiko Tuna. Very interesting story about this. Boy, everything looks so blurry. That's just me. Let's see, are we gonna focus here? There we go. This is a Seiko Tuna. This is a fascinating, this is one of the toughest watches in the whole, oh, focus, come on now, in the whole world. You want to read a, a lot of interesting history on how this watch was designed. There was, uh, it was designed for saturation diving. And I think Rolex was competing at the same time. They were, what, they, what was happening is guys were going so deep with the, the equipment and breathing, you know, all the gases and stuff gave them in the, what do they call it, the barometric, what do you call that diving? Saturation diving, I think it is. That, uh, that there was no watch in existence that would, that would be able to, to stand those depths. And I think what would happen was that nitrogen would build up inside the case and, and they couldn't make a case strong enough to withstand it. And this was their answer, the Seiko Tuna, the Tuna series, 300 meter watch. And you can get these in automatic or quartz. Now this one I bought in quartz, Mrs. W bought it for me for, my, for Christmas a few years ago uh, because they're half the price of the automatics. And it is very nice. The problem with the automatics when you get one, if you have multiple watches that you kind of rotate through, then your automatics are always not going to be telling the right time when you pick them up. And that's kind of a drag because, you know, the batteries on them or how long the spring will last is varies, you know, but anywhere from three to six, seven days, and then they go flat. That's what's nice about the quartz is that it, I can pick that up and it always runs. So the Seiko Tuna, if you like big, tough watches, that's a really nice one. I've enjoyed that. If you have a small wrist or you're a smaller person, not recommended. It's too big. It's too heavy, and it's far too heavy to wear if you use your hands for work. If you're like a mechanic or you pound on things, the mass of it's so big that it just tears your hands up, and you can't put your hands in small areas because it catches on stuff. So that's not very good. That's what's nicer about the slimmer watches like the Explorer is a very nice size. It fits under the collar or the, the cuff a lot better. It doesn't mess up your clothing. It doesn't catch on stuff. So if I was gonna go on a budget for mechanicals, the two I would recommend would be the Seiko 5, the SKS, and maybe the Hamilton. Hamilton khakis are pretty nice too. And this is the, this is automatic. This is a marathon, a lot of, Military guys use these with a sapphire crystal, TSAR, right there. This is a good one too, but also very thick. So be careful. Just don't buy one that's too thick. The thinner, smaller ones are actually a lot more wearable. G-Shock's hard to beat too. You know, you can't go wrong with those. We have a super chat from Mr. Jack Patterson. Shout out to you, Jack. Good to have you here. Welcome. And Sean Johnson. Welcome, Sean. Sean joining us from, is it New Zealand? Sean is currently in a hospital. I completely shattered my elbow and forearm. Good grief, brother. Any advice on how to get over the guilt of not being useful while I recover? Oh, man. 
Man, I get that. I, I felt terrible. I, I, it was the same way when I was, I was just recently, I was convalescing. I was down in, in bed for many weeks. And Mrs. W had to do everything and wait on me and three meals a day. And I hated it. I hated it. Um, yeah, it's hard to be useful. You know what? It's okay not to be useful. I guess that's what I would tell you. That's kind of what I understood. I, I get it. As a person that hates to be a burden on people. I hate being a burden. I hate, I hate, I, I never want to be, I never want to be a dependent. I never want to be, someone have to work harder because I'm not pulling my weight or do something because I'm not able to do it. It's one of my worst fears. And so if you cut from that cloth and you're a worker and a productive person, you'll, it's even double difficult for that to be in that situation. Not everyone is that way. I remember I knew a kid growing up. He was a year older than me. And he, he, was always very, he was always very lazy anyway. And he, was, uh, he got involved. He had a stroke. And he got to the point where he was, not, he was in that position where he couldn't work where his family depended, was dependent upon him. And it was incredible, you know, after talking to him and kind of seeing how he acted and how he did nothing to improve his condition and, and just was happy to be a burden upon his family and just to be lazy and lay in bed all the time. And I believe that had he wanted to, he could have gotten some recovery, you know, recovered and got healthy again. But he just, he liked it. He preferred it. it that was like... I think he even said as much to, to another friend of mine that that was the best thing that ever happened to him because now he never had to go up and do anything. He could just stay home and watch TV and his parents, elderly parents would take care of him and it was like he'd hit the lottery. But for me and for Sean, you know, that's like the worst thing that could happen. You got to understand that just realize you don't need to be productive. Just get better. Just get better. Focus on your health and try to use that time to do something or learn something productive. You know, one of the best things that I ever did, and I would encourage all of you to do this, especially if you were like me and didn't have a very good education, you stuck with government indoctrination centers, is um, go online and download the top 100 greatest books of all time. And you'll find... There's multiples, but you'll kind of narrow it down to two different groups. There's the English list, and then there's an American list. The English list is better. Go there and look through that and make that a goal of yours. Get yourself an Audible account. Audiobooks are a lot easier, I think, for busy people to consume. It's not as good as reading, but to be honest with you, if you're a man and head of your household, I don't know about you, but I don't have time to spend hours a day sitting down, doing nothing, reading novels. But what I can do is when I'm in my car or I'm on my motorcycle or, you know, now that you've got AirPods and all that sort of thing, listen to those books. And that's a good thing to do uh, when you're down like that and you've got some time to spend. Go, go down there. And, and I'll tell you, when you get through the 100 books, you will have an education that rivals, it's probably far better a, more of a classical education than you got anything that you got at school. Um, I, I cannot tell you how many times that comes into play 
in, in just day-to-day life, especially when you're talking to other people or you're spending time around other educated people. Just to be able to understand the nuances and references, historical references, not be completely in the dark when someone makes a historical reference or it brings up a particular character in history, you know, a Napoleon or a reference to the Three Musketeers or Tolstoy or War and Peace or um, Charles Dickens or Hemingway or The Old Man in the Sea. There's all these iconic stories and the greatest books ever written. Just by listening to those hundred, you'll come away with, with a great education and, and a, just a bigger worldview, understanding of history, understanding of um, human nature. It, it, is, it is truly, you know, when I say that I'm self-educated, that's exactly what it is. And that's how I educated myself was by reading those books, really. I mean, I didn't like go back to school or study mathematics or anything, you know, probably should have, but that's what I could do. I, I definitely had a deficit. I didn't have a, a good understanding of a lot of these things and that, that people with good educations do. And that helped me tremendously. So not, I, I think I even, I think I even have done the top 200. I said hundred, but it might be a top 200 list. I think I did the top 200. I did the full British list and then I did, uh, I went in on the American list and then pieced in anything that wasn't there. You know, books, books like The Three Musketeers, you know, just a fabulous, beautifully written book. Um, everything that Ernest Hemingway wrote, you know, For Who the Bell Tolls, To the Old Man in the Sea, uh, Farewell to Arms. Um, yes, so, so, many, so many good things. It'll just change the way you think. It'll change the way you look at life. Um, if you want something that's a little bit lighter and really fun uh, and you don't want to read, um, go while you're convalescing, go on your computer, iPad, and um, there's uh, three series I want you to watch. Um, first, watch the, go to the BBC. This is British TV. British television and British programs, well, they're completely wrecked and woke and nonsense now, but traditionally they've been a lot better than American TV. American TV and American programs, by and large, insult the intelligence. They're just foolishness and ridiculousness. Where the British, I think they put a higher emphasis on wit and character development and being clever and Sherlock Holmes, you know, that, that whole thing. They definitely put a prize on that and, and, and it shows through in their literature. But they have some great programs that's perfect. I, I almost envy you if, you, if you're not, if you've never watched these before and you get to watch them for, for the first time because they're so fun to watch. But I would be three. The first one, not in any order, would be uh, the Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy series. That's that, the author of that book was LeCarrie, I believe. Was it John? I forget. Brilliant, brilliant writer. But it covers um, Cold War espionage during, well, during the Cold War from the British perspective with the Russians. And the books were absolutely brilliant. I read them twice the whole series through, but the, 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 don't go to the new one. Don't confuse this with the Hollywood movie. The Hollywood movie was trash. Go to the original miniseries that was probably done in the 80s or so. Excellent. So watch that. That'll give you something to do. That's super, super good. After you watch it, you're going to want to read the books. Then you're going to go watch um, Horatio Hornblower. 
The Horatio Hornblower series, absolutely fabulous. It follows a, a midshipman during the Napoleonic Wars in London, England, uh, and his rise up to post-captain and beyond you know, all of that um, from the perspective of a naval officer back in the wooden ship sailing days. And it's absolutely fabulous. It was actually that series that inspired uh, the Master and Commander series, uh, which is an incredible set of books as well, if you like historical fiction. Um, and then um, the Richard Sharp series. Richard Sharp, the Richard Sharp, the Sharp's uh, books are absolutely worth reading, wonderful books. Uh, they're so good, I might just go back through them again. I had so much fun listening to those audiobooks on Audible. In the same vein, where they follow, they don't follow a midshipman along, but they follow a, a, basically a, a military, a, a private, that would have been at the same time during the Napoleonic Wars, but he's put into an elite, basically the special forces of the day, which were, would have been the British rifles. The very first rifles that came out um, they, they tested them in small group because they, they, normally they had smoothbore muskets and the reliability of them was questionable. Uh, but once they got those rifles, that gave them a whole nother capability. And it's about the exploits of, of Richard Sharp and his friends, um, how they, you know, how, how, how he grew, grew up to the ranks. And every book that builds, you know, he'll get a promotion, you know, field promotion all the way up until where he ultimately becomes a Mustang officer and they're very well written. It sounds cheesy and over the top and you know you let the Americans get a hold of something like that and they'll definitely ruin it but it's done very well. I like that historical fiction of those three book series. The Sharp series, the Horatio Hornblower series, and the Master and Commander series because some people will turn their nose up at fiction thinking that that's not highbrow and if you're going to spend your time reading, you should be not reading novels, you should be reading things of, of, of substance, right? I disagree with that. Read whatever you learn from and whatever you enjoy. It makes you think. And these books are all so well researched that you will get a tremendous history lesson um, from reading them. It's called historical fiction and just the, the, the time spent by the authors of setting the scene and putting these characters in real situations that really happened loosely, but you can get a general feeling of what was going on and what was like, life was like, but it's fabulous, man. Take advantage. It's a great blessing. It's a great blessing that we take for granted to have someone read, that's a good reader, that can read a wonderful story to you uh, and be entertained. And to have the time when you're convalescing from a, your broken arm and such is the perfect opportunity that you can do that. And yeah, that's what I would do. That's what I do. And you can kind of do it guilt-free, but just get better. There'll be plenty of time to work. The work will always be there, but you need to take care of yourself. Take care of your health. Don't go back too early. You can make things worse. You can have a back set. Just everyone around you understands what you're going through. Um, just be kind and polite. Don't, don't let your frustration come out and manifest and, and abuse your family because you're bored and feeling bad about it. Just be joyful. Uh, be grateful that you have the ability to get better um, and you're getting good medical care and, and enjoy those, those books or enjoy those movie series. You can, I think you could probably get them all on, on, online somewhere. You'll find them. I found them. They were there. 
Shout out to you, Sean. I'm sorry you broke your arm, man. That's a bummer. Elbow, too. That sounds like it hurts. Mr. Jack Patterson, Super Chat. Thank you. Welcome. And Old Heart. Goodness, we have a friend Old Heart here. Shout out to you in a Super Chat. Shout out to Overton for passing along the Pendleton Vans collab message. While I was on the lawnmower, I'll send you a link at Proho. Yeah. Well, I have to see those first, but it sounds promising. Pull a, a mix between Vans and Pendleton. That's pretty cool, especially from an old skater like myself. I can definitely get behind that. Yeah, someone send me a link of that. I'd like to see what they look like. Thank you, Old Heart. And Alan Z, brand new member. Welcome, Alan. Very happy to have you here. Shout out to you. And Jackson Patterson. Welcome, Jackson. Jackson says that he's been married. He's 24. He's married with one child. Getting an early start. I was 35 when I got married. I'm a referee. A referee. Reefer. Refrigeration technician. He's giving me the jargon here. Re re Reefer technician in Memphis, Tennessee. Great money. I want to do my own mobile repair, but not sure how and not have a bad relationship with my company I'm with. That's a very good question. Uh, here's, how you, here's how you deal with that. <clears throat> let's, say, let, let's take your situation. So he, he's working, he's a refrigeration tech specialist. He's in Memphis, Tennessee. Hot as blazes down there, so I'm sure he's got lots of work. I want to do my own mobile repair, but not sure if I have bad The best thing that you could do with that I'll tell you, as someone who is a, an employer, and put sevens in the chat if you agree with me, if, you, if we have employers in here. If I had a really good employee that I valued, that was a good job, showed up on time, did all the things that was, that was helpful to my business, that put my business before his own wants and stuff. If this young man or person came to me and just told me, hey, I want to go out and do my own thing, um, I appreciate everything you've done for me. I may not even be ready to, to do it. I just want you to know that this is what my plan is. If you were just honest about it and told the guy and didn't just walk out, gave someone like lots of notice to, re to replace you. I, I can honestly say that even if, even if this person was ultimately going to become my competitor, I would not have a problem with it and I would have tremendous respect for him for just coming out and telling me what's going on. I would, I would kind of, I wouldn't bring it up right now. I don't know where you're at with your training. Is this something you want to do right now that you're ready to go? Do you have a service truck lined up? Do you have your tools? Do you have a client list? You know, that, that's the things I don't know. But let's say you want to move in that direction. I would give the man that you work for enough time and I would ask him how much time would he would, would you need to replace me before I went in and, and I would have this talk. So before I had the talk and I brought it up I would have resolved okay I'm going to do this and if you're going to do this you're going to start putting things in place. You're going to need a service truck or a van, your tools you probably already have those that sort of thing. Also I would show him the respect by I wouldn't be stealing customers. Now if they insist, let, let's say you have a customer that you go and you regularly service that, that belongs to your boss he's had for years. Let's say that 
that customer really likes you, that you're an extraordinary tech and you've worked with him and he would prefer to work with you. He, he has allegiance to the company, but ultimately, if he could have you doing his stuff, he would want to do it. And if you're going to be doing it on your own, he would call you instead. I don't, have a, see, I don't think there's a problem with that. And I don't think any reasonable guy that owned a company would have a problem with that. Now, if you just all of a sudden put together this business plan and then showed up on a Friday and said, hey, dude, uh, I'm not coming in Monday. I'm going off to do my own thing. Oh, and uh, by the way, I'm going to take half your clients with me. Well, that's a whole different deal, isn't it? You know, that's not something that a guy should do. That's, that's just underhanded and it puts him in a bind and it really is a crummy thing to do. And he would have resentment and you would probably have an enemy the rest of your life if you did that. Whereas if you, having the same situation, you went to the guy and you gave him plenty of time. I don't know how hard is it to get guys to come and work there. How difficult would it be for him to replace you? Estimate what that time would be. Is it four weeks? Is it three months? Whatever it is, but I might even ask him. I would just sit down in his office and say, hey, we need to talk. Hey, this is my plan. I've always wanted to do it. I want to go out on my own, but I'm not going to leave you in the lurch. You tell me how long you need me to stay here until you can find a suitable replacement. I'm even willing to stay a little bit longer if I could help train someone up, if I could. Um, um, I, I just want you to know that my business is important to me but my first commitment was to you. You've treated me good. You've kept me fed. You kept me paid. You kept me busy working. I, I appreciate that. And I'm going to show my appreciation by not putting you in a bind. So you put the ball back in his court. Tell him, how long? What do you need? What would be fair? What would be reasonable? Then, then that, that takes away all the hard feelings. I would never fault a guy for wanting to better himself, for going out and work on himself. So get that out of your way. You know, if he resents that, then he's not a good guy. Every man has the right to, to better himself and to increase his station in life. No one, no one should deny him that. But if you can do what I said and, and help him out, and, he's, and he says, well, could you give me three weeks? Could you give me four weeks? Absolutely. Just agree to it. As long as it's not something ridiculous and he wants you to stay on for years, obviously. When you leave there, you will leave on good terms. You will have fulfilled what you said you would do. He's, you've been replaced. You're not putting this guy in a bind. You're not hurting his business. And you know what's going to happen? You're going to get more work from it. Yes. If someone calls you and says, hey, uh, I used to work for your, you know, have your, have your boss do our refrigeration, but I really want you to do it. You know, that all's fair. If you can offer a better product and the customer makes the choice and they want to go with you, you have nothing to be ashamed of. Um, I, and I wouldn't hang my head or try to avoid the guy or feel like I'd done anything shady at all. Do everything on the up and up so that you have a clear conscience when you leave. And if a customer wants to follow you, then that's all fair. I would not have a problem at all. And what I have seen in situations where people have handled leaving for their own business in that, in that way is that you might get work. What happens with big businesses, and maybe you don't see it on your end, but there's a lot of small jobs and different things that come through that some companies don't want to take on. And who do you think he's going to call it with, for those little jobs and those extra things that he may not want to do or doesn't have time to do? Do you think he would call you if you left on good terms, if you didn't leave him in the lurch? Do you think he might kick down some business for you? Do you think there wouldn't be some benefit that might help you out from this man having a friend rather than an enemy? 
So that's the advice I would give you. But don't feel bad about it. You have nothing to be ashamed of. What you're doing is bettering yourself, and, and every man should respect that. Good question, though. Let us know, Jackson. Let us know how it went. Irish prepper, new member, bacon is life. Indeed it is. Bacon is one of the great pleasures of life. But turkey bacon, the way Mrs. W makes it, is absolutely delicious. Isaac Leonard, super chat. Seiko is the Toyota and Grand Seiko is the Lexus. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Seiko makes some of the finest watches in the world. Great, great company. I think a man should have a good watch. You know, we don't adorn ourselves with jewelry and such. If a guy wants to have a good watch, it's just like a tool. You know, it's, it's, it's within reason. I mean, $100,000 on your wrist, quarter million dollars on your wrist, you know. I don't know about that. If, I'm, I'm not, if, if you have the means and it gives you the fizz, you go for it. But even a regular man, you know, spend a few hundred bucks on a good watch, you know, even a few thousand dollars on a good watch that he's going to have hand down. You know, my dad bought a Rolex Submariner 20 years ago. He paid about $3,000 for it. He bought it used. Uh, $2,500. Yeah, 2500 I think he paid for it. Bought it used and enjoyed that watch his whole life. Uh, and then when he passed away, um, that came to me. And I, I already have a watch, so I gave it to Jack. Now he gets to enjoy it. And that watch will also remind him, you know, that came from his granddad. He remembers his granddad wearing it. It's important. It's sentimental. It's a reminder of his granddad. And Jack takes care of it. That watch will go to his son or whoever he choose, chooses to, to gift it to. So there you have, I mean, you, you can look at a, at a purchase like that. Was that excessive? Was it over the top? You know, was it, was it a bad idea for my dad to buy that watch, spend $3,000 on a watch 20 years ago? I don't know. You judge. The pleasure that came from owning it, the pleasure that Jack has from owning it, having a family heirloom, I don't know. It doesn't seem ridiculous to me, as long as it's within reason. Goodness, we have a super chat. Give me glasses on here. From Ryan Noons. Goodness, shout out to you, Ryan. Welcome. Glad to have you. That's very generous of you. Traveling from Klamath Falls to Bend, listening to the stream. Man, you're just, just east of me. I know exactly where you're at. Know of anything interesting to do in Bend? Never been, only in town 24 hours, then headed back down the Rogue River. Oh, Bend is a fun town. Bend is a good food town. They have, um, you know, uh, there's a... It's a great place to one-wheel because the Deschutes River runs right through there, but you don't have a one-wheel. Um, you know, I'm trying to think. I, if I was to bend, I would go to... When I go there, I like to go to the... Um, I like to go to the Deschutes Brewery. That, if you go to the downtown area, there's a lot of uh, really great brew pubs that make some amazing food. I, I'd probably go to the downtown area chill down over there, uh, grab some food, hit the, 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 cla the, old, the classic brewery, the Deschutes Brewery down there. Um, they have a pub there. The food is amazing. You just can't go wrong. The, the food everywhere. Oregon is a real food town. Uh, P 
people have real high expectations and high standards, and it's known for having some of the best food in the country, all up and down the West Coast. You know, Seattle's the same way. Uh, but Bend certainly is a good portion part of that. There's another place to go that's kind of cool. Uh, you can go down to the... Um, I built a store down in a new development called... Um, oh, is it Water... Not Water Tower. What was it called? Goodness, I can't remember. Just go to the downtown area. Go to a brew pub. Get yourself some awesome food. Some local beer if you partake. And there's a lot of things to see and do down there. Bend is a fun town. Shout out to you, Ryan. Only in town, 24 hours. Yeah, that's about what you have time. Yep, head down to, down to the Deschutes Brewery Park, walk around downtown. It'll be really bustling. There's a lot of stuff going down there. A lot of, uh, with the weekend coming up, it'll be getting, it'll be hopping down there. Mr. Jason Barr, Super Chat, welcome. Shout out to you, Jason. Jason writes, on a scale of eight to 10, how pro-ho are you feeling today? Well, 10, of course. 10, of course. When you are, when you, when you are the original pro-ho, then you always feel like that. I don't know. I, I, I'm always, I always feel like a 10. Kind of like a woman that way. They all think they're 10s now. Thank you, brother. Mr. Miroslav Mayer writes, how to fight with one's own laziness. Any advice? How do you fight laziness? I get lazy. I'm trying to think what... I get lazy... I don't see. I, I would put... I would almost put laziness and depression. I think that they're kind of the same thing for me. When I, if I think about, you know, if there are times in my life that I feel lazy or just not motivated to get up and to do something, it's almost exciting me or something that I'm passionate about. And when I'm not, when I don't have a purpose or a passion, I start to feel very depressed. And when I get depressed, then I just don't feel like doing anything and I get exceedingly lazy. Um, that usually happens this time of year when it's still wet, when it's not, you know, you're tired, you're kind of burnt out, you haven't got a lot of sunshine. And another thing I think that we underestimate about laziness is, is it can be caused, in, and I think you really do think laziness and depression do go hand in hand together. This can happen to you if you spend too much time inside, if you don't get um, enough sun in your face, sun in your eyes. You know, something that I've, I'm going to be looking into this week that Mrs. W has been looking into, maybe you've heard about this, but you know, some people have been going back and looking at old photos of America and realize two things when they see these old photos. This would have been like in the 60s and even into the 70s. If you go to a beach and you look at pictures of America from 60s and 70s, you're going to see something very different than you see today. You're going to see people are not wearing sunglasses, and they're not wearing sunscreen, and they're not uh, fat. They're not obese. But on the sunscreen and the, and the sun, sunglass side of it, so Mrs. W is a fair redhead, half Swedish. So she was the girl that wore the white t-shirt in the pool, you know, with the zinc oxide on the nose and all that. She can't go anywhere near the sun. She burns immediately. So as long as I've known her, 
she has lived in sunscreen. She's always slathering it on and putting it on. And I've always kind of asked her about that from someone who doesn't wear sunscreen because I don't, you know, I may burn initially a little bit, but then I just turn brown as a berry because of a of my fam past family. So I've last few years, you know, once we've kind of become a little bit more aware of the harmful chemicals and how poisonous and toxic our environment is, I, I've been questioning, asking her, do you think it's healthy to, to wear so much sunscreen? Because the skin is our biggest organ. What, first, what is that sunscreen? What is it doing? And where does it go? You know, it's not really, it's going into your system. So is there a consequence for that? So she started looking into it a little bit and going down some rabbit holes. And she got into uh, a correlation with sunburn and sunglasses. Have you guys heard of this? I have not looked into it. I'm, I'm going to. But allegedly, some people are claiming that sunglasses, by going out wearing sunglasses, actually makes you sunburn. Well, how could that be? That sounds weird, right? Well, as she was explaining it to me, and I just heard just a second of it, I haven't looked into it, I, I will look more into it, but you can look into it on your own, is that the, uh, the sunshine, we're starting to realize that having the sun in your eyes uh, does a, a lot of things, a lot of physiological things happen in your body. And it actually, they're starting to, to, to think that having sun reaching your eyes, direct sun, not, not being filtered through blocking anything that blocks the UV, the light and stuff, actually causes a pigmentation or something to change in your skin where it's almost like an automatic um, sunscreen where your body adjusts to uh, the situation or the intense heat or the, the sunlight uh, and people are not burning. There are people that are claiming online that are even like Irish redheads and stuff. Once they took off the sunglasses and started like actually letting the sun come into their eyes, that they no longer have to wear sunscreen anymore. So, you know, a lot of these things, we maybe they weren't health issues, they weren't really concerns for people back in the past because most people were outside all the time. You know, very few people worked in cities and, and inside. And now, how much time can we spend inside? How many of us ne almost never go outside and never see direct sunlight in your eyes? What if you work from home? What if you're stuck in home and, and, and when you do go out, you put your sunglasses on and you have them in your car and then you've got tint on your window. You can see, really, if you kept track of the time you actually spent with direct sunlight on your face and in your eyes, it would be quite small. And I think also that, that being inside too much and just looking at screens and not having outside and, and looking at the sky and being exposed to that, that that can cause depression and laziness as well. It, do, it does for me. I got to get outside from time to time. So I don't know, man. I'm not a doctor I, I, and I don't know enough about you to really answer that, but I would, I would try those things. I would consider it. But having a purpose and, you know, men are simple. It doesn't have to be a big old thing. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to go climb Mount Everest or anything. Having a purpose is just something that you look forward to doing. Something that when Saturday rolls around, Sunday rolls around, that you pop right up out of bed because you can't wait to go do it. That could be working on your dirt bike, your motorcycle. It could be out you know, doing something you like to do, go fishing. But having a purpose also 
tends to, to help with laziness as well. But some people are just born with it. I've, I've known some lazy people that you couldn't, they were just like a bump on a log. You just couldn't get them to do anything. We have a super chat from Be Strong One. Shout out to you. He writes, hey, you mentioned a story about a Delta operator that saved some diplomats. What is it called? So the channel is, if you go to YouTube, go to uh, Vigilance Elite. Vigilance Elite is, um, and if you go back probably about four, three or four weeks, it'll be in the last, probably among the last seven or eight videos that he put up on his main channel. Uh, and it, the title will sell, say Delta Operator and... Um, I think it's the only one, one of the only ones on there, and it's worth watching, uh, that whole story about the hotel. Vigilance Elite, yep. He also goes on to say, what is it called, uh, what is it, uh, also, what blade steel for a 940? Uh, S30V, I believe, is the blade steel for the two that I have. I, I don't know, you know, I'm not the metallurgist, I, speaking of which, I got the, the 9400 here today. And I think this one's S S thirty V. Yeah, I got S thirty V. Yep, S thirty V. A particular knife opening in in my pocket. It's the automatic nine forty, and I could see where that would happen if you. Yeah, would that happen? How could that happen? Could this be pushed in the pocket? If you wear it with a clip, this is going to be pressed against your body. If you pressed up against something, would this open? It's unlikely, but it's possible. We had one of our fellow pro hosts said that it's opened twice in his pants and cut his pants up. So on the top of it is a, is a lock. That, I didn't think I was going to be able to deal with that lock. But... I think I, could get, I think I could get in the habit of locking it. I don't know. It's too soon to tell, man. I mean, I've only had, this is only my third day carrying it. I'll get back to you in three months. We're going to have to put some time on it. And I will tell you if the 9400 is going to be the new official EDC pocket knife. But the S30V is a good steel. It sharpens very nice, even on that big fat blade, that big Tonto, reverse Tonto style blade. It sharpens up very nice and it holds an edge for a long time. I've never chipped it and I've abused mine. No one abuses it any worse than I have, for sure. I've opened paint cans. I've opened soup cans with it. Never, ever a chip in that knife. I've never filed a chip out of it. And that's not true for every knife. Most of my other knives have chips in them. But I'd go with a 730, that S30V, that's been a good steal for me. Tough as nails. Mr. Chase Cormick, member for two months, welcome. Chase writes, I recommend GA Henty and RM Ballantyne are great. Yeah, we read all of the GA Henty books uh, to Jack when he was growing up. And that's a really, really good option, especially if you have kids. If you have grandkids or kids and you want to introduce them to great stories with good moral values, it is uh, a very wonderful set of books. Um, it is written to inspire kids and to be an example of what, 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 what being a man 
is all about and growing up as a man and adventure stories. Another good book, was it G.A. Henty? Did he write, I believe, uh, King Solomon's Mine? I think King Solomon's Mine. This, would, this is going to go on Proho, the Proho reading list. This is geared usually for younger people, but even anyone can enjoy this. It's a great book, and I believe that was G.A. Henty, and that's one of my favorites. That would be my, one of my go-tos. King Solomon's Mind by G.A. Henty. Now, the other author, R.M. Ballantyne, I am not familiar with. Chase says that he's an old Christian author with strong Christian men as the focus. Historical fiction, very good. Oh, well, I'll make a note of that. But absolutely, G.A. Henty is a, a great write, yeah. I love those G.A. Henty books. I remember, very fondly remember those, reading those to Jack. T. Wilson, the twin. Shout out to you, T. Wilson. He writes, I know you love motorcycles. Have you ever considered a Harley? <sighs> Nothing better than hitting the road at sunrise on a V-twin. You know, my granddad had a Harley. My granddad almost got killed on a Harley. Did I tell you the story? He used to deliver mail. So this would have been in the mid-30s or so. He had an old Harley Davidson with a side cart. And he lived on a, they lived in Oklahoma on a self-sufficient homestead. He had a couple side, side gigs going on. He, uh, he trapped for extra money and then he worked around and you know, ran the family farm. But he also delivered mail. He delivered mail early in the morning, big bags of mail from one town to another town. It was about 60 miles. And his job would get up early. He would take that Harley. And this was 12 seasons. It was in Oklahoma. You know, it gets cold there in the wintertime. But that's what he did. Every morning, uh, he would go to the post office, pick up the bags, and then take them down and deliver them to the post office. So what happened one morning was uh, he was coming up. He said it was a little bit foggy. He was about halfway in between both towns. He came up over a rise at about 65, 70 miles an hour. And when he got to the, the crown, the crest of the hill, there was a horse standing in the road sleeping. Now horses s sleep standing up sometimes. And it was, uh, the, it was on the road because of the warmth coming off the road. Well, there it would, and he hit that thing's broadside and hit that horse and crashed and knocked himself out and then came to, he doesn't know how long, he didn't remember any of this, but he came to, got the bike back up, got it started and rode another 30 miles or so all the way uh, to the post office. When he got to the post office, he, he came in and, and crashed and collapsed and passed out and the postal employees came out and you know, nurtured him and got something, ministered to him and got him back on his feet, but almost killed him hit, hitting that horse on that Harley Davidson. So I don't know why I'm telling you that, but I, there, I do have it in my, we do have it in our history. It never has appealed to me, those bikes. I'm not so much opposed to the bikes. I mean, I like the, I like, I'm familiar with all the different models and the engines and, and the history of it and it being the American company and all of that. What I don't like is I don't like all of the boomers uh, that have subjugated, the, you know, kind of taken on that persona or that Harley persona as their own. I don't like uh, motorcycles that the barrier to entry to get in is thirty or $40,000. 
for something that is, they're nice and all, but are they that nice? And then I don't like the, the crowd. You know, I can get with the guys that are, a, a guy that's riding a panhead with a Kickstarter, you know, that's out and, and building it and working on it and, and into that whole scene. I think that's super cool. So, yeah, I could do that. I could ride a 60s, 70s Harley that was kind of period correct, uh, that was dripping oil and, and, you know, you never knew if you were going to get home. I like that. I think that part of it would be cool. Yeah, and going off in a fall with the sun setting on a bike like that that you had put together and built and know how it works, I think that that's super cool. But the idea of going to the Harley-Davidson shop and, um, you know, dropping 40 grand on a Springer and then buying my signature Harley gear and being rolled in with the type of guys that, you know, the guys I'm talking about, those weekend Harley guys that want to be, you know, I, don't, I just can't get with that. I just, I, I don't like it. I, it's, that would be a barrier for me. I, if I were to ride a Harley, it would be on the, the older side, as I was saying. I would not get involved with the newer ones. I just don't, I, I, they don't appeal to me whatsoever. I don't like the lack of performance of the things. I don't like how big and heavy and slow they are. Yes, I know you can, I know, I know, I know. I like light motorcycles. I like uh, enduro motorcycles. For me, motorcycles should be something that's all-terrain, that you can go everywhere. I want to be able to get on the road, right up to Mount St. Helens, and if I see a single track, I want to be able to dip. Uh, dip into that single track and go ride that, or go climb up a hill up to a lookout tower, or go over here, or go uh, river crossing, and that sort of thing. I want a bike that if it falls over, I can pick it up. I want a bike that can be used that if, if I run it into a tree, it's not going to cost me 10 grand to repair, you know, that sort of thing. So I, I, I'm just looking at it from a very different, I, I use motorcycles very differently. I live in a completely different environment, that, that something that would be entirely not suitable for Harley-Davidson's. So for all the reasons that I've laid out, I just I can't get with it. They, they don't appeal to me. And when I see one and when I see one of those old boomers on one, I, it, it, it. let me sum it up this way. When Mrs. W and I, we just went down to Los Angeles, or not Los Angeles, uh, Palm Springs. My idea, I, this was a mystery trip for, that I set up for, for her. She didn't know where we were going, but wh when I was putting the trip together, what I thought I wanted to do is I wanted to go down there and rent a motorcycle, a two-person motorcycle, something cool, you know, maybe like a, maybe a BMW GS or something, kind of a dual sport or an adventure type of bike, maybe even a, like a 690 or 890 KTM, you know, something cool. Rent it for a day. And then what we'll do, I planned this whole trip. We're going to go through the Joshua Tree National Park, and it was going to be awesome. Like, what a cool place to ride a motorcycle, Joshua Tree. Well, when I went down there and started looking at what was available and the feasibility of renting something like that, it was a, there was the shop that was there had bikes. And when I opened up the bikes, you know what they were? They were all big Harleys. And when I saw that, I didn't want to ride. I, didn't, I changed my plans, and I didn't want to do that anymore. That's kind of how I feel about it. No, I'm not a fan. We have a super chat from Jamie. Our friend Jamie, a member for two months. Welcome. Shout out to you. Did that sound drop work? I've been hitting the button. Oh, man. It's hard getting old, gentlemen. I can't see. My sound drop's not working. What if I do this? Nice. There we go. 
It's incredible. I tell you, I, again, this morning I went through all this after yesterday's fiasco, remapped everything, did hotkeys. Are they working? No, they don't work. Did they work before? Yep, they worked every time. <laughs> We're just going to have to keep it simple. Owen Benjamin style, as Mr. Overton puts it. Thank you, Jamie. Jamie writes, what's something you were wrong about during the heated discussion with Mrs. W? I'm trying to establish a good communication channel with my fiance. None of your business. <laughs> None of your business what's wrong. We don't, uh, we don't discuss, we don't air any dirty laundry, Mrs. W. And I would say, uh, we, we just don't have arguments. We've not agreed on things uh, before. But I'm trying to think, I, I would, if there was something that we completely disagree on or could not see eye to eye on, I would tell you, I'm trying to think what that is. Is there something that we just avoid talking about? There is one thing. <laughs> Some of us are of the, of the opinion that women should not be voting uh, for various reasons that we've laid out in past uh, streams. Uh, Mrs. W is not in agreement with that. So we've had to agree to disagree on that particular issue. Uh, that is go, that, that's, uh, and I can understand why she wouldn't agree with that. Uh, what's something you were wrong about during the heat? I, I, I'm not going to say I was wrong about that. Uh, I think history is going to prove <clears throat> that some of us were actually right about that. I don't, know, I don't know how to answer that, Jamie. As far as trying to establish good communication channel with my fiance. So <clears throat> here's a bit of advice I could give you. Here's what happens with, with men and women. So a woman will, your, your fiance, your wife will come to you with a concern. Uh, it doesn't matter, whatever the concern is. And, and she will want to talk to you about it. And it will often come at times uh, of inopportune times, uh, when you're not in the mood, you've been working all day, what have you. What you will think as a man, and, and automatically what we'll do is that, okay, she's presented an, an issue, a problem, whatever it may be. Uh, so here's my solution. And so you as a man, you will hear what she's saying. She's talking. There's noise coming out of her mouth. She's sharing something that's a problem or a concern of hers. You're hearing it. You're calculating this in your mind, and then you want to spit out a solution. Oh, so such and such is not being nice to you. Well, here's what you should do. And then she will look at you and you can tell she's not listening to you and then want to say the same thing over again. What I've learned is that they don't always want a solution. They just want someone to listen to them, really, and to be sympathetic. And you have to fight your, your nature, your inner nature, that will automatically want you to spit out a solution when she's not necessarily wanting a solution. She already knows what, to want, wants to do, what, what she wants to do. She just wants someone to listen. So <coughs> the advice I would give you is don't think you always need to have a solution. And sometimes it's just about nodding, listening, hearing, asking questions, uh, and letting her talk. But also, you want to establish from the very beginning Baby, I love you, but I am not your sounding board. 
I am not your girlfriends. I am not interested in your dramas. I'm not interested in, in all of these things that you women like to talk about and get involved with, all of your relationship issues, all these things. I am not interested in this. I am your man. If you have a problem, come to me. If you have a concern, come to me. Of course, I will always hear you out. But if you just want to chatter on and, and go on about this and, and you have all these women issues or all these relationship issues or all these things you want to talk to, go tell your friends. Go tell your friends. Women and men are very different. And that's just fine. You don't need to be the, a sponge to carry all that stuff around. If she wants to talk about it, set those boundaries. If it's important, let her know, of course. If this is me and you, or this is the kids, you know, this is something that I want to hear about. I want to know if you're feeling a certain way about this. Let's talk about it. Hear her. Listen to her. Um, but if it's just random chat and politics of the office and that sort of thing, I, you know, I put my hand up and I'm like, you know what, baby? I don't want, I'm not in interested in this. If you want to go uh, and, and go, go down to book club with your ladies, you guys can chat about this. I'll be happy. The Sweet Loaf and I will be out in the shop. I'll watch her, have your time, give her her time, make sure that she has time around other, other women. They're very social creatures. You know, the, the women's sewing circle, that, that notion of that idea is kind of a, a trope or a meme. That's real. I mean, us guys, I can come out here and I could, it, she could be gone for two weeks to visit her parents. I could be in my shop and never see a soul and be as happy as a clam, working on my motorcycles. Maybe a buddy comes by, maybe doesn't make, doesn't make any difference to me. I don't need to talk to anyone. I don't need to share my feelings. I don't need any, any that contact. I don't need it. I'm happy by myself. Women are not that way. So do yourself a favor. Make sure you have a shop. Every successful marriage, a man, I think, needs to have a shop. You need to have a place of retreat where you can get away and do your own thing. Let her have the house. She can have her friends over. You're not going to be subject to everything. And also make sure that she has a friend group. Get her, make sure she gets involved with the local community, whatever they do, so that all of these things that they like to talk about and share and all these relationship things that they can share with you. And just tell her, just make the boundary. You and I, family, yes. Random, just nonsense. I'm not interested. Go tell your friends. Thank you, Jamie. Good question, though. You'll be all right. If you're, if you're concerned about it and you're looking, you're looking for answers, then it sounds like you're a pretty good dude. And Mr. Kyle Brozard, shout out to you. Kyle said, I spent six months in jail for a crime I didn't commit. Can you imagine that? Man, I, I, I just think back... I think on how hard, how much it, how much it hurts when someone thinks that you did something wrong that you didn't do, that someone makes an accusation online or in your neighborhood about you're a particular guy or you 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 do things a particular way that are unjust and, and not true. That's hard to deal with. I can't even imagine being thrown in a cage for something I didn't do. That would, I, I would be spending that six months. I would. I don't know how it's been that six months, but I would be seething with how and, and plotting uh, and scheming on how I would make that right when I got out. I don't, mm, I could do a lot of damage with six months of planning. 
So Kyle spent six months in jail for a crime I didn't commit. I got out hating this country and system. Yeah, I didn't even read that, but rightfully so. I would be absolutely... That'd be a hard one to get over. That, that, would, that resentment would be very, very hard to get over. How can I let the anger go? Not really religious. How can you let that anger go not being religious? Why is religion have to... Why am I pausing? I'm pausing because being a person of faith, part of the contract that the supernatural powers are the abilities that God gives you when you commit to Christ is an incredible reservoir of forgiveness an ability to forgive people in situations where you wouldn't think it's, you could forgive someone. I have seen it. This is not because I've read it somewhere. One of the most powerful proofs that Christianity is, is something special is people's ability to forgive others for horrendous things. I have personal stories I could share and stories in my family as well as friends around here of in, just incredible feats of forgiveness of people that I wouldn't think it possible if it weren't for some sort of divine intervention or special ability that God gives us um, to let that stuff go. As someone who is just a, a worldly person that has been falsely accused, you know, and I understand what you went through. I, anyone that's not been in jail or thrown in jail before may not understand the indignities that a man has to go through in that environment. From the attitude of the pigs that delight in tormenting you, abusing you, hurting you, um, dehumanizing you, power tripping from the ride to the jail, and then they put you in the hands of the corrections pigs. Um, and they're, some of them are terrible. Some of them are okay, but some of them are terrible. Some of them are just sadists. And what it's like to have to strip down and, go, and to be humiliated by a strip search. Now, all the time, all of these things that this, that this guy's got to deal with and these indignities that he's got to suffer from the strip search to the horrible people in, the, in these institutions, to the horrible cops and the corrections cops, all of that. It would be one thing enduring this if you were guilty of something. I could accept that. Okay, I screwed up. I made a bad call. This is, I knew this was part of it. Um, it's, I, I'm to blame for this. You know, that's a whole different deal. Serve your six months, do your time, come out, my bad. Yeah, there was, some, there was some horrible people in there. I had to suffer a lot of indignities. Fine, fine. You know, I, I can get with that, right? But you take that situation where you've got to be ran through all of that and to deal with those people 
and then come out the other end with a stigma stuck on you. I don't know if it was a felony. If it is, you're stuck with that. So now you don't have rights that you enjoyed before. You're always going to be labeled as that. Ex-lovers, girlfriends, family members, current family members, that's, there's always going to be that stink on you if you were right or if you were wrong. You know, it just, it's going to be on your record. It, it ruins a guy. And to have to go through that, that and be completely innocent of it, you know, I'd be seeking revenge, uh, to be honest with you. If, if I, the only thing that would prevent me from getting revenge, uh, at just, let me say justice, for getting my own justice on that, uh, would be my faith. And I would have to, I, I would really have to, to, to pray long and hard about that. God would have to intervene to give me deliverance from that, from that fury, that six months of fury that would build up for me being in there an innocent man. I, I don't know what to, I, I don't have any advice to give you. I, I don't think that I could physically do it. The only way I could physically get over that, the only way I could mentally get over that and, and truly be and forgive those that wronged me would be through the forgiveness that comes from our Savior. That, that is truly the only way. If I were a non-believer, it would be my life's mission to get justice. I don't care if it took 20 years. I would make myself an expert on a great many things, and I would know exactly every single person that, was, that had a hand in falsely accusing me of falsely imprisoning, imprisoning me, being clear that they, they, they knew what they were doing and they lied anyway, I would have my justice. If it took me 30 years, I'd have my justice. Uh, and it would be all-encompassing. I can't give you advice on how to forgive something like that I, because I wouldn't, I wouldn't possess it. I'm sorry, brother. That is terrible. That's terrible. I mean, I'm just going to be honest with you. There's going to be dudes that are going to come in and say, oh, you, you just need to forgive. You know, you don't know. You didn't go through it. You didn't go through the humiliation. You didn't go through. And I don't know, did you, I, did you think that you were going to be in there for longer? You know, what does that do to a man's mind? What if, you were, what if you were looking at 10 years, 20 years? You know, I don't know if you got out early because the truth came out or what it was, but I'm angry. I'm angry and for you and I don't even know you. I'm so, sorry, Kyle, man. That's a bummer. Thanks for sharing that, though. I wish I could offer you something more. I just don't have anything to give you. Mr. JC, Super Chat, look, at, look into seed oils and how they correlate into sunburns. I've also heard about this. Seed oils, that's something I've been looking into as well. Love the content, been watching since high school. Yeah, seed oils. Seed oils. Seed oils are bad. I will look into that. I, I really can't comment on that, Jay. I don't know. But I wouldn't surprise me. But it's very interesting to see you know, people didn't wear sunglasses. Wouldn't that be something? Can you imagine the irony if the very thing that we 
thought was protecting us from the sun. Sunglasses, sunscreen were the very things that were preventing us from naturally not burning or naturally healing or receiving some sort of a health benefit. <laughs> you know, the Great Awakening, everyone keeps talking about that we're experiencing a Great Awakening right now. Some people say that this is a religious awakening or there's going to be under, a greater understanding or a greater insight into the mystery of God is going to be revealed to his people. And I believe that that is true and that is happening. But there's a lot of other things being revealed as well, a lot of truths. You know, things that are on people's lips now were not spoken a few years ago. Things are questioned that have never been questioned, medicine and such, sunglasses, sunscreen, just the very things we're talking about. But what it, what it starts to, it paints a picture for us, people of the book. We start to see that everything around us in our life has been weaponized into weaken us in some way. Weaken us physically, mentally, spiritually, weaken our ability to connect with our Creator, and told to us that this is healthy. Told to us that it's good to wear sunglasses. Of course it's good to wear sunscreen. It's bad to burn. You know, we are under attack in every aspect, from the poisonous materials in the homes that we're living in, to the toxins in our food and our air and water environment, to the garbage that's being pumped through our phones and computers and the smut and the pornography and the act, everything. Everything from even the music, everything is a, it's a full spectrum attack on our physical bodies as well as our spirit uh, to separate us from our Creator. And there's a lot of things that we've done for a long time that we've thought to be natural, good, and healthy that are, have just the opposite effect. I see this great awakening happening to open our eyes to these things. Right here. A man mentioning seed oils. You know, maybe you've never heard about seed oils. I've heard about this. I, I know I've been looking into it a little bit myself. Things that I've eaten my whole life, I've, I'm starting to cut out. Things we're getting out of the house. Sugars. Poisons. Sugar is poison. Alcohol is poison. It's important to be open-minded, beloved. Just be open-minded to these new ideas, whether it be discussing grounding, whether it be discussing what material you're putting on your body, what's it being dyed with, what's it, what, how was it made, what's in it, what's in the paint, what's in the drywall. You know, all these things need to be considered. I think that as close as we can get back to nature, within reason, and with natural substances, natural foods, natural fibers. You know they're putting all of this MNRA and all that stuff, they're actually injecting this into the food now. Into, so when you buy beef in the future, you know, not even your food is going to be clean. So you can start to see now, why was it that God wants his people to get out of this environment? Why, why did God put it upon our hearts 20 years ago to get out away from this environment? Well, he saw this happening. He saw that it was happening then, and he was moving his people into a healthy environment. You need to live into the, you need to have a little bit of land, or at least a double lot, so you can insulate yourself from some of these toxins and poisons. We'll be growing our, growing our own produce, our own vegetables this year. We'll be doing canning. We're buying our beef locally across the river from our neighbor who runs an organic farm that doesn't put any, that feeds his cattle naturally. You know, we can't do everything. We still have to go out. You're still going to be subject to these things, to these 
hormones, to these poisons, to these toxins in your food. If you go out to a restaurant, you don't know where they're sourcing it. You don't know where it comes from. The body is resilient, fortunately. It's the accumulation that really breaks us down and wears us down. If you can limit that in some way, maybe stop putting sunscreen, maybe stop washing your clothing with um, fabric softener um, and things that are just full of chemicals. If you can smell soaps and perfumes and chemicals and stuff on your cleaners, that's, that's not something you want in your house. You take like a can of Lysol, for example, or whatever the normal, whatever your normal store brand cleaners or aerosols, hairspray, perfumes. You know, that's a pretty good amount of liquid in one of those. What is it? You know, 12 ounces or so, 8, 10, 12 ounces. If you were to spill it on the floor, you know, it'd be a pretty significant amount of fluid, right? 10, 20, 30 years of using these products, spraying them in your house, where do you think that's going? Where do you think everything that you bring into your house that is a chemical or a perfume or a synthetic, where do you think that's going? You think it just goes into the air and flies away? No, it's in your carpet. It's in your couch, it's in your clothing, it's in your closet, it's in your bed. You're just you're swimming in poisons and toxins. Now, is that going to kill you overnight? Well, you know, probably not, but you have to ask yourself, why are we having all these increases in autism, increases in Alzheimer's, increases in cancers, increases in dementias that we never, never heard about in the past? Could these things be contributing? Could we be poisoning ourselves in our own homes? It's hard to do it all. It's hard to know where everything comes from. I get it. But what I'm saying is that if you can limit these exposures, if you can start with your purchases, what you choose to buy, pay a couple bucks more and get a, a, something, a, a, a laundry detergent that's not tied, a laundry detergent that doesn't have any scent in it, that just, just a pure soap that you know what the ingredients are. They're not full of chemicals. If you can't produce it, you don't know what it is, then don't eat it and don't buy it and don't put it on yourself. Keep your houses clean. You know, uh, then you know, start a small garden, start a small orchard. If you can start producing some of your own food and produce from the very ground, that you know, you know where it came from, you know it's pure, you know it's clean. Can you buy your beef? Can you go buy a quarter or a half or a full cow from a, a place in the country where, from a farmer where you know it comes from where he cuts and wraps his meat and it's organic. You know, those, those things we need to consider. That way, you know, you're kind of, you're not exposing yourself to so much. You know, it's that constant hit. It's that bang, bam, bam, but that constant influx of chemical, chemical, poison, flu, you know, what, from the food that you get that ultimately, I, I think, it seems to me, you know, breaks the guy down and now you're 68 that's, and you're getting cancer and you're having problems and all these issues because of a lifetime accumulation of all these toxins. You know, I don't know if that's true or not, but it's, it makes sense. I think it is. So if you can eat clean at home, make your home a refuge, a sanctuary, then when you go out to a restaurant, you know, and you get something that's wrong or unclean or not the best, then, you know, it's not, it's not going to have the effects it does if you're just inundated with it. Mr. Grant Z, member for two months. Shout out to you, Grant. Grant writes... Did you ever keep the EcoFlow solar generator thinking of getting one? Yeah, I have, uh, I have a whole bunch of them. I probably have a dozen of them or so. Yeah, we use them all the time. Actually, Jiraiya, Jiraiya uses them a lot 
he, he always keeps one in the back of one of the Hondas so we can plug in tools, charge phones. Uh, we've actually been using them over at the new shop because I haven't brought the power in yet, so I'm using it to... I didn't realize this when I accepted the bid for the garage doors on the new shop, uh, but the bid came with um, electric garage door openers. <laughs> I was not planning on that, but uh, I, when I saw them installed, they were up, and I thought, well, I guess that was in the bid. I, I sh should have read it a little bit, but that... But being there, there's no power over there, and we're starting to use the shop more and more. Uh, we've got one over the over there. It's basically running power for the whole shop. Uh, so yeah, uh, we use them. We use them daily, daily. I have only problem I've had with them. I had one that wouldn't take a charge, and I called them and they sent out another one um, and said just keep it. Uh, and then um, I think we just threw it out. Yeah, my, been good. I've had no, no problems with it. We always take them camping. We always take them uh, when we go motorcycle riding. Whenever we go out of town, we take a smaller one in the cab of the truck. Uh, Jack keeps one in his car. They're, they're pretty handy, especially with a portable solar panel. That really ups it, ups it uh, because you have two ways of charging. You can charge with your car. You can throw that 400-watt solar panel out there, and that gets after it too, especially when it's sunny out. Yeah. Solar generators are a really good option. Mr. Kyle Broussard, shout out to you. Welcome. Good to see you here, Kyle. Kyle writes, I won my appeal, found the court violated my rights to get the conviction. I'm no longer a felon, felon, but I still can't let it go. Thank you for the honesty. I'm not having a solution. I don't have one either. Yeah, that's interesting. So, man, that's something else. You know, no one would have saved you. That's really something to think that had you just accepted it, and not fought it, you'd probably still be sitting in there. But you took matters into your own hands and you made it happen. He won his appeal. He found the court violated my rights to get the conviction. I'm no longer a felon. Well, that's a great blessing to not have to be stuck with that. I don't know, brother. You know, I'm not, I'm not advocating that you go and harm anyone or break the law, obviously. But I'll tell you, I'd have a hard time with that. I would, I would want justice. You know, that's one thing, that's one of the proofs, that's one of the most important things of Christendom is, is God warns over and over again about this particular topic. He, he warns us, don't go out and get your own justice. <clears throat> he reminds us over and over again, I want you to know that there's nothing that's taken place, there's no injustice, there's no cruelty that's taken place that I am not aware of. And not only am I aware of it, but everything has been written down in the book of life. The good book tells us that the book, there's a book of life, whatever that means, but it's in the kingdom with God. It's a written record of all of us, everything we've said, everything we've done, all of our deeds. And the book is kept because that, I think the book is kept for this reason. I don't have a scripture for this. I'm gonna go out on a limb, but this is what seems logical to me. <clears throat> those of us that are in the kingdom that wake up or show up there and we realize that our loved ones are not there. Maybe we knew our wife. Maybe you really, do you really ever know anyone? But people have secrets and you never really know anyone's true standing with God or you rarely know it. And you're surprised that they're not there. And you think, well, how could this be? 
Or what about my neighbor? My old neighbor, that old woman, she was a saint. She used to plant gardens and feed the homeless. She, did, she was always at church. Are you going to tell me that she's not here either? <clears throat> How can that be? How is it my children are not here? They were good kids. Weren't they more good than bad? How can that be? If there wasn't an answer for this question, you could look upon God, and I think it would be reasonable to look upon Him as, as, as being arbitrary. You know, I don't, I, I don't know why you'd do that. I don't know why you would, would not save someone that was such a good person as old Mrs. Peterson who fed the, who fed the homeless. Well, I like to think that he can lead you over to the museum, which will, and there would be featured right in the center of the Book of Life, and the pages can be opened and you can see for yourself. You'll be able to go through, probably in the blink of an eye, and, and see the entire life experience, the whole life of this individual that is in question. And you'll be able to see, I'd like to think, you'd be able to see <clears throat> how many times and how many opportunities there were for this person, and that God intervened through His Spirit to convince this person to react to what they knew to be true and just, and yet they didn't do it. And ultimately, you got to a point where they so hardened themselves that they were unable to even listen to the urgings of God. <clears throat> and He was left with no other choice but to let them go. And you'll be able to see this, and you'll see that the reason that the person is not here it's because of their own decisions and their own actions over the course of a lifetime. And you'll be able to close that book and, and, and God will be exonerated. And you will agree with him that of course I see that you did everything that was possible, everything that was reasonable to save this person, but they would not be saved. I, I understand that you're not to blame for this. Knowing this as a Christian, as a person of faith, if you're wronged in a situation like that, terribly wronged, thrown into jail for six months, you always know in the back of your mind, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, that he will repay everyone for everything that they did. But if you are... Not subs- if you don't subscribe to this belief, you, if you don't believe that this is, these things that I'm saying are true, that there isn't a creator, that there hasn't been a savior that has come down and died and offered his life as ours and the ability to be reunited with our creator. If you don't subscribe to this and that this isn't something that you believe in, then this is of no value to you. And therefore you're in a bad situation because God has written his heart upon your law, or his law upon your heart, if you believe it or not. This is, this, there, we just know instinctively that there are things that are right and there are things that are wrong. And there's nothing that goes against the grain more than an injustice. Think that's not true? Let someone cut in front of you in line or take your spot out of turn. That's an injustice. Look how the crowd will react if someone tries to cut into a line in a movie. They will almost unanimously turn against this person and have them out. Why? Because it's not fair. It's not right. We have, a, we have an instinctive idea. The law of God's been written on our hearts. We know what is right and we know what is wrong instinctively. So now you're going against nature. You are received wrongfully. You're wrongfully accused. You had to 
you meted out this horrible punishment, but there will never be any justice for you. Do you think that the person, the people that were involved in, in, in lying on you, withholding evidence, cheating, whatever they did to get a conviction, knowing that they were doing the wrong thing, do you think that they're going to, you're going to receive any justice by them? Are they going to be punished? Are they going to be fired? Are they going to have to go serve the six months that you served because of what they did? They're not. So there is no justice. There's no justice for you. So you're going to seethe and you're going to stew on this the rest of your life. You know, that's, I don't know, I'd look at it the same way. I have not exacted retribution or revenge. Let me think about this before I make this statement. No, that's not true. I have, I did get my own justice. I need to, I guess I need to answer the question, the obvious question is that, did it make it better? Was I satiated? Was I, was I resolved to the injustice um, by taking justice, the matter into my own hands? I'd have to say that I was. This was before I was a Christian. I can tell you the story. Statue of limitations has probably long since run out on this. My sister was sun tanning at one of those suntan places. And she used to go regularly, her, her and her friends. She was probably in high school. They, when they first came out, they were really popular. And uh, I found out that uh, a guy, guy was, a guy that was about my age was there. He was um, kind of a peeping Tom. He was looking at the girls under the door while they were uh, in various, well, they were undressing. When I heard about this, um, I needed, I felt like I needed to do something about this. I needed justice and uh, we needed to make this right. I never thought once about calling the cops. Uh, I haven't thought about this since it happened. What, we, what I did is my friend and I found out my sister was part of this, and then he was, I think he was dating a girl that was going in there as well. And so he had a dog in the fight also. So what we did is we waited for this guy to get off work, and we followed him home, and then we went into, we paid him a visit. And um, well, we dealt with it. He didn't work there anymore after that, and that was, that was really the end of that. So um, if I were to think about that today, am I satisfied at the result? Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I felt like uh, justice was, was served. Would that have eaten at me? Like now... Let's say I didn't. Let's say I didn't do anything about it. Let's say I was I was too afraid, or I didn't want to get involved, um, and I didn't. 
meter out the justice, or we didn't meter out the justice that was deserved, in my opinion. Yeah, I think I would. I think I would be. A, I think I would have regret. You know, I, I'm speaking of someone that's a not not coming from a Christian perspective. I'm afraid I would have to have my justice. I, I just would. That's a tough one, man. That's a that's a real that's a real head scratcher. Interesting. I hadn't thought of that story for a long time. No, I'm thinking there's many, there were many times that we that we were wrong, that we took matters into our own hands in those days. Yeah. Mr. Kyle R., new member. Welcome. Welcome, Kyle. Kyle writes, tallow is the cooking oil to use. Also, a great skin moisturizer. Tallow. Yeah. Yeah, tallow. Tallow was used. The fat of the tallow was used in uh, so many things back in the day. You don't see it, hear about it being used too much anymore. I've never cooked in, I don't know that I've ever cooked in tallow before. Tallow, isn't that, is that beef fat? Is that beef fat tallow? One of my favorite uh, oils to cook in. It makes everything taste good. If you want some really good popcorn. Beloved, one of the worst things you can eat if you don't know already is microwave popcorn. You know that, right? Microwave popcorn is poison. If you, I know it's delicious. Uh, but you should probably think about not having a microwave oven in your house and not certainly not eating microwave popcorn. Do yourself a favor. If you want a good treat, get the old school popcorn. Get organic popcorn, unpopped. Get yourself a saucepan and pour a little bit of, yeah, maybe a good tablespoon or so of uh, coconut oil. Coconut oil is in, uh, it's, it's like a paste because as a, its melting temperature is different than regular oils. But as soon as you put it in there, it'll melt, it, melt into a liquid. Just, just skim the bottom. You don't need too much. And then put your popcorn in there. Pour it in there when it's good and hot. Put the lid on there, but leave, a little, leave it ajar so you can let a little bit of the gas out or that, the moisture out so it doesn't get damp. And you pop your popcorn with that coconut oil. Oh, goodness. And then pour that in your bowl. And then a half a stick of butter. Melt that in the pan you were just using and then ladle that off with a spoon on the top of it. This, oh, goodness. That's the best popcorn you'll ever have. Yeah, vegetable oils. These vegetable oils are really, really uh, bad for you uh, to, to cook with. Uh, you, these need to be avoided. Cook with butter. Cook with tallow. Cook with lard. Uh, coconut oil. Uh, we even cook with a little bit of olive oil. It smokes a lot, so you have kind of low heat stuff, but those, those oils are a whole lot better. Some people believe that you should eat no oils. Yeah, that's a hard thing to do. To give up all oils, uh, that would be very, a very difficult diet. Mr. Mark Bodyman, shout out to you in Super Chat. He says, are you going to stream with Undead Chronic soon? So I have been uh, emailing back and forth with with. UC as well as Hammerhand uh, trying to get together to discuss this, come up with, with uh, whether this would be feasible or not. So I don't know yet. We'll talk to them. We'll see what they want. Um, we're trying to get together this weekend. Um, I have some things planned. So I'm going to try to talk with them the first part of next week. So maybe, maybe it's possible. I have a couple concerns that I want to discuss with them. I'm 50-50 I'm on it. It could go either way. 
We have a super chat from the Sterling Power Project. Goodness, I've got to, I got to go in here. We got to do the drop. The Sterling Power Project. Fifty dollars. Very generous of you. Writes, rate my proho. Okay, I'm ready. Rate my proho is about to happen. Thirty-five-year-old auto mechanic side hustle. There's five right there. That's a good, a good skill to have. Auto mechanic. Auto mechanic is a very good skill to have in the coming struggle. Home shop with lathe, mill, and welder. Oh, it's looking good. Artesian well. You're already at nine. I don't even know if we can go much. This is shaping up to be good. Food prep, garden, stream, rental income covers mortgage. Only debt is house and new farm tractor, but not a Tradcon in sight. New York man. Now, you do not need a Tradcon uh, to place high in, in, a, in, the, in the Proho ranking. That, that, that is a nice thing to have, uh, but it is not at all essential. If you were uh, a bachelor or if you were going monk mode, uh, you could still reach the highest echelons of Proho. I'm going to have to say here, this is one of the most promising I've seen right here. 35, mechanic skills, home shop. He's got a lathe mill and a welder. Do you have a lathe and a mill? I don't. Do you have an artesian well? Do you know what an artesian well is? That means he doesn't need a pump. His well, his water actually bubbles up out of the ground under pressure. What I would give for one of those. Food prep garden. Stream, he's got a stream. His rental, he's renting a room or a portion of the house covering the mortgage. He's mortgage free, but not a Tradcon and a new farm tractor. The only thing, the only negatives here, I wouldn't even call it a negative, is that you are carrying some debt. Now, would I, take, would I go into debt for a farm tractor if I was sitting in, in his position? Uh, absolutely. I, absolutely. But I would have that thing paid off quick. Paid off quickly. I'm going to give you, as, as it sits right here, I'm going to give you a solid nine. A nine. You, are, you, you definitely make a nine. If you were to pay off the tractor, when you pay off the tractor in the house, even without a Tradcon, you come back here, you'd be looking at a 10, I think. Yeah, you'd be looking at a 10. That's pretty good. I don't believe that there are any Tradcons on, on, on the East Coast. There are certainly not none on the West Coast. So the prospects are not good, but that's all right. That's all right. It's not essential. Man, shout out to the Sterling Power Project. Uh, killing it. Looking good. Looking good. One thing I would advise you on, you've got the momentum going. You're killing it. Don't rest on making the minimum payments on that house. My goal, if I were you, would be to pay off that house and that tractor in 10 years. Use a mortgage calculator. You know, there's a lot of benefits, if you look into it a little bit, of making an extra payment a year paying a little extra each month. Mrs. W has always done that and we, we've always taken out 
traditional mortgages, you know, the 30-year mortgages with good interest rates because we have good credit. It's, it was always cheap money in the past. And then we put ourselves on a schedule to pay it off in 10 years. And the reason why we did that is, you know, if, if, if we didn't have, we could free up money for other things. You weren't putting it all into one thing. But we also didn't want to carry around a mortgage for 30 years. We wanted to have that done. So what I'd recommend to you is do that. Get yourself on a 10-year plan, even if you are doubling up your payments, whatever it takes. You've already got a renter in there. If you pay the, the normal payment, you know, and, and get that going, I, I would I would recommend that. Being debt-free and out of debt, there's there's nothing like it. It's a it's a it's a freedom that very, very few people in this country ever get to experience. <clears throat> Mr. Bilbo Baggins, welcome. Shout out to you. Man, we're going old school here. Must be nice. Must be nice. Good to see you back. That's three days in a row now, Mr. Bilbo. Bilbo writes, what three guns would you recommend everyone own? I like this question. <clears throat> okay, let's say there's a hurricane, tornado, volcano, and everything is wiped off. I'm just down to bare earth here. I'm starting over from scratch. I've got nothing but a great big insurance check. And I'm going to go to the gun store, and I can buy anything I want. Now, if I'm only going to buy three guns, then I can buy nicer guns, right? I don't have to go buy Palmetto Arms. I can go buy Knight's Armament, right? I'm, I'm going to assume, like, I, I don't, I'm not a collector. I want the three very best I can get, and I can only have three, so they're going to be good. What are they going to be? <clears throat> Number one. Number one, I'm going to spend about $3,000 and I'm going to buy a Knight's Armament SR-15 in a 14.5 barrel, pinned and welded to 16 inches. Knight's Armament SR-15, that's number one. Number two, I'm going to buy a handgun. I'm going to buy a Glock G19X with a red dot. That's number two. Kate, Knight's Armament SR15, 14.5, 19X would be number two. Number three, <clears throat> I'm going to buy. or build a precision rifle. What am I gonna get? Man, I have the guns that I'd buy. I'm gonna buy or have built a Remington. Basically, I'm gonna be building a, a, a sniper rifle. I'm gonna be building a Remington 700 action, short action, with a 1820. 20-inch 20 proof carbon barrel on a Macmillan stock with a Leupold Mark 8 scope, or maybe the Mark 5. In chambered in what, 308 or 6.5? Or 300 wind mag? I can only have one, right? Three hundred wind mag. 
So we're going to go long action. Long action 700 Remington Custom with a 20-inch carbon barrel and a 300 wind mag. That will give me, that will give me plenty of firepower. Uh, that's an easy 1,500-meter rifle, 2,000-meter rifle, uh, or better in the right hands, um, that I can hunt any game in North, North America, uh, hands down, no question. Excellent rifle for hunting uh, elk, deer, bear. Little, little overkill, but it's going to put them down. Uh, long, it'll give me the ability for long distance. Uh, the SR-15 is going to be the home defender in 14.5. It's still short enough where it's portable. It's usable. It's a good all-arounder. Ha having all the different, I've got all the different lengths around here, and I've, I've been thinking about that lately. And the last one to add to my collection was the 14.5. And I do understand that I'm still in the honeymoon phase of it, but I do like that 14.5 pinned and welded. That is a really handy, handy size. That's going to be very useful. It's going to give you, it's going to help use the potential of that round, especially if you're using the 77 grain OTM. You're going to be able to use the military optic BDCs, whether you're using an ACOG or a... Um, Elcan, you know, those things are all set up for that barrel length because that's what the military uses. So all of the ranging and everything is all going to be there and nice. It's going to be, it's going to be a good all-arounder. I would not go, if I could only have one, I wouldn't, it would not be a Mark 18. I used to think that, but after living with it, it wouldn't be. And then that takes care of that. And then the, the third would be the, the 19. You have to have that because you need to have a concealable option. You need to have something that you can CCW and carry with you. Um, and that 19X with the short slide and the long handle uh, carries pretty well. And you can, you can live with it. So that would be my three choices. I, I'd be really bummed not to have a 22. But I, I don't think I'd... Yeah, and I'd be bummed not to have a shotgun either. Can I have five? If I were to add two more, it would be a Ruger 1022 and an 870. 870 defensive shotgun that I could swap the barrel out and, and have a hunting barrel. Actually, I, I got some new guns. Uh, I thought that they were gone, um, but I got my dad's old guns. So uh, got my, oh, I got my first, very first hunting rifle. I didn't even know we still had it in the family. Uh, my old 8mm Mauser with a cut-down stock. I shot my first deer with it. Uh, wall, the wall, the antlers up there hanging on the wall is what I shot with that. Uh, open sights, iron sights. <coughs> I got my dad's 1100 Remington. I got uh, my dad's old side-by-side 12-gauge -side and uh, two or three... Ruger 1022s. I think that's it. We have a super chat from Mr. Ryan Barnes. Bergara HMR 14 Pro 300 PRC. I, man, I'm at a loss here. HMR 14. I don't even know what any of that is. I don't know what a Bergara is. HMR. I'm thinking that's a I was thinking that's a cow. I don't, I don't know what any of that is. I'm completely confused, Ryan. You've got me completely baffled. <clears throat> we have a super chat from 
Bilbo Baggins, another one. Thank you, Bilbo, for your generosity. He says, I have the exact same Remington 700 and a 308. You know, that would be a good, you could make that argument. I hate shooting a 300 wind mag. It's a beast of a gun to shoot. Very uncomfortable. But you left me with no option with the, only having the three guns. If I only have three... <clears throat> See, I grew up hunting on the plains uh, of the, the Hell's Canyon on eastern Oregon. Right up the, If you look at a map of Oregon, Washington, Idaho, where they all come together in the northeastern corner of Oregon, that's Hell's Canyon. And it's, uh, it's grasslands, but it's rugged, rugged land. And I grew up hunting over there, and our sh we had long shots for elk hunting. It, I would say the average shot was probably, probably at 200 to 300 yards, which, you know, it doesn't seem like a long shot in the YouTube world with all of the super spec op guys on there. But <clears throat> for us with hunting rifles, with fixed 10s or fixed 4s, that, that was a pr pretty good shot. And that was a common caliber used amongst uh, among our, our hunting party in the family. I would say it was probably the average that some went down and some went up. But, that, but it was mostly 300 wind mags. So that was a really good caliber. I saw that to be very effective at long range uh, animals taken. Um, my granddad, he preferred the 7mm Remington. And he was uh, exceedingly proficient with that. And that's a good round as well. That's actually been used. The 7mm has been used. I think the, some military snipers have used it. I think the issue with it is due to the lightweight bullet, it has a tendency to, to be easily deflected. So I don't know that that's the best hunting round, but that's what Granddad chose. 300 Wind Mag is good. Um, 300 Weatherby, more exotic, but that's good. 340, good. But uh, that 308, you know, you can pretty much do all the same thing with it. It's not going to go out there as far, but it might be a better choice. The 308 might be a better choice than the 300, just for availability of ammo. It's very standard, and it is definitely a capable round. Yeah, I might, I might, I might side with Bil Bilbo. I, I think I will, Bilbo. I, I think I'm going to revise that. If I can only have one, I'll, I'll go with a 308. I'm going to change that. We'll go back to the short action. <clears throat> but you could shoot 308 in a long action. You could rebarrel it. So maybe I should, because the original is at the M40. What was the sniper rifle, the Vietnam sniper rifle, the one based on the, on the 700 with the McMillan stock? That was a long action, but it shot a short, but it shot a 308, which is a short action round. Mr. Tony Bologna, shout out to you. Two month member, welcome. I think on the gun question, he meant common man proho on a budget. Oh, common man. Okay, well, I was using my insurance check scenario. Uh, so if I was on a budget, what's my budget? I, okay, so if I was going to go cheap or inexpensive, it's going to be similar. If I was going to go inexpensive, I would buy, a, uh, I would buy uh, the same thing, 14.5 AR-15, but I would choose a different brand. I would choose Bravo Company. Bravo Company offers a lot for a good price, and they are a reputable, proven company, battle-proven company. Bravo Company, 14.5, they run good sales. You can, you can get in on some of their sales. You, you could get into a really nice rifle for a thousand bucks or so. Bravo Company 14.5, handgun, it's going to be the same. 
you know, your six, your five, six hundred dollars is going to be, you know, you're going to, that's what you're going to pay for for a Glock. That's going to be the same, and the rifle, it'd be something off the shelf, but it'd be the same. It would be some sort of a hunting rifle, something that was accurate. You know, whether you go with the Savage, with the Accu Trigger, those are nice. Uh, maybe even a Tika. Yeah, maybe it may, I might consider, look at a Tika. A Tika in 308 with an 18, 20 inch barrel, something that was kind of portable that I could put a 10X scope on with a 308. That'd be a good one. That'd be, that'd be hard to beat. So you get your Tika, your Bravo Company, and your Glock, and you'd be able to have all the same capabilities for what? One third the cost? Fourth the cost? So that's what I would do. Mr. Ryan Barnes, member message. Welcome. Welcome, Mr. Barnes. Mr. Barnes writes, that's my rifle of choice for long range. Yeah, it is. Well, you know, we're not, we're not, we're not reinventing the wheel here. We're just, we're just going, making our decisions based off of what has been learned through a lot of blood, sweat, and tears by brave men in combat. You know, that's the, the, the crucible of combat the crucible of motorsport racing uh, is really how you prove things, especially when it comes to equipment and machines. That's, that's what exposes the weaknesses of things for sure. And Mr. Overton, we have a member message from Mr. Overton. We, we got to hook Overton up here. Come on now. We're doing it Must the old be way. Nice. Must, Must be, be nice, nice to have a man like Overton in your comments. Mr. Overton has some comments. Is there truth to what the hunter says? You need 1,500 foot-pounds of energy in the bullet left to take down an elk. I've got that remaining energy at 2,000 yards, and that's the shot. It, you know, it depends. Yeah, I've seen some strange things. You know, growing up in a big hunting camp, I've seen a lot of animals shot <clears throat> with a lot of these bigger calibers from multiple ranges. I've seen astonishing things. I, I, I used to hunt with a... Um, Boy, I, one thing that really surprised me, I used to hunt with um, a 300 Weatherby Magnum in a Mark V chassis. A 300 Weatherby Magnum, is a, that's a potent round. That's, that's significantly more powerful than a 300 Win Mag. It's, a, it's like a Magnum version of a 300 Win Mag. It's a proprietary round. It's a big old boomer. And that's what I hunted with, deer and elk. I once shot a spike, a little spike deer, a little buck with that perfect shot in the front we, we always shot for the sh we always aim for the 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 shoulders the front shoulder or the 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 neck ahead of it the neck is the best way if you now we were hunting for meat so we didn't want to spoil meat you spoil if you shoot an animal in the you know in the front quarter or the hind quarter you know, that pretty much destroys that meat. If, if it goes all the way through, then it'll, it'll bloody up and mess up. I mean, you can cut a few steaks off of it, but it, it's pretty nasty. It's pretty much a wash. But that's a good spot to shoot because right behind that are the lungs and, and the organs. And you get a big caliber into that, and it's, it's over pretty quick. And it's a relatively big target, an easy target to hit. The neck is the best place. Just up from that, up into the neck, is a very effective place to hit it. One, because there's very little meat in the neck. And once, you, once that 
wound cavity gets in there with a hunting, you know, big 30 caliber hunting round, you know, it wreaks havoc and the animal will go down relatively quickly. The problem with shooting in the neck is that, especially with the Rocky Mountain, the Rocky Mountain elk, Roosevelt's as well, is they have a mane, you know, they have fur that kind of hangs down and makes the neck look thicker than it does. And I've known guys to shoot and shoot low uh, and it go right through there and, and aim at the neck and just, you know, it's actually kind of small. It's kind of a hard target to hit. So if you really want to put it down and you want to guarantee it, it's, it's pretty hard to beat, you know, right at the shoulders or in front of the shoulders because that's a big body. It's, it's massive. It's a massive area. So that, that's kind of the way we trained. You know, we'd like, well, yeah, we waste a few stakes maybe, but at least it's better than, than having it run off and die and not finding it. So with that big 300 Magnum, I, I shot, and it was at close range. It was probably 90 yards. Broadside, I shot that little deer with that thing. And that, that bullet hit so hard and walloped so hard. What was the grain on those things? They were big grain. Is it like 220? Am I remembering right? They, big, big, big hunting bullets. And when I got up there to butcher it, uh, where the poor thing's legs had been standing, it actually pushed it a couple feet. You could see where it just scooted it, where it, it impacted so hard that, that, that bullet. Uh, that's a huge, that's way overkill for an animal like that. But um, yeah, it certainly had effect there. Now, as far as the 1500 feet, you know, we never did really get down, understand these things or, how far, when does a bullet run out of energy and that sort of thing? This is all kind of new sniper stuff. We never were concerned about that. But I never, ever saw an animal uh, that was able, that I remember, that didn't, that was shot properly, that didn't uh, go down immediately with any of those big calibers at, at, you know, I don't know if I ever saw anything shot more than maybe over 800 yards or so. But at 800 yards... All of those calibers, and including the 308's marginal there, but I, I have, that's a bit of a stretch, but I, I still think you could do it. If you had good shot placement at 800 yards with a 308, uh, yeah, I think so. Overton's, shoot, Overton's operating on a whole other level here. He just gets warmed up at 2,000 yards. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. Mr. Jason Barr, he's been with us for two years. He says, have you tried Unity's riser for the EOTech? I'm an EOTech fanboy. Uh, my neighbors, my, two of my warband, one of my warband's members just put that on uh, and absolutely loves it. Yeah. <clears throat> if I were to do it over again, I currently am set up with, I have multiple T2 aim points. I, I do prefer the EOTech. The, it's a hard one, man. I go round and round with this. I, I guess I say that. I, I, I keep looking at my friends' EOTechs, and I, I look at them, and I think, yeah, I do prefer that. I like the, that, I like the way that the, the, it shows up under night vision. There's nothing better than that, the donut of death under night vision. I like the great big window. I like the form factor, the size, the durability of it, everything about it. But what I don't like is no scope cover. And that is a huge problem for me. That is overlooked by a lot of people uh, to their peril, I, I think. I'm super sensitive to that because of growing up hunting and growing up in an area where it rains and snows a lot and you're in the woods and everything falls into that scope. It's, my granddad was adamant 
<clears throat> about keeping his scope dry. <coughs> he, we always had really good scope covers. We took every effort to protect those scopes. They were not as good as they are now. They weren't as fog-proof. <clears throat> Pardon me. And so he, he was really concerned about that. And I am as well. If, you, if the thing is all full of uh, pine needles and rain and snow and all blurry or snow and ice, I mean, that's a big issue. The, the thing with the T2 is it's got brilliant scope covers on it. And it's easy to put a scope cover on because it's of its round shape. And the scope cover that comes on it is shoot-through. You know, so the inside of the first, like the, the, on the diopter part or on your eye side, that's clear. So even if you have the scope covers on where it's sealed up, when you come up, you can still, with both eyes open, you can still use it and shoot without the scope cover. So that seems like a small feature to a lot of people, but it's a key feature for me. It's really, really important. And that's why I have the T2s is for that very reason. So what he's talking about is that the mounts... So the mounts keep getting taller on optics. And there's a couple different reasons for it. One, so you'll go anywhere from the original sights. So, so if you're setting up an AR and you buy a set of sights, let's say you buy Magpul sights, the, the, way, you know, the way that was set up originally, as Eugene Stoner intended it, they're, they're quite low. Because, and, and that forces you to, to, you have to really turtle in and get down low on the rifle. Now there's advantages to that. You know, there's even been studies that have, have been done by the military of how many soldiers were killed uh, if the sights are too high. Because if the sights are high, let's say you're fighting like they are in Ukraine out of trenches. You know, if you have to raise your head up, you know, that, that exposes you to more danger than if you had to stay down like you're, like you're on a grand. You know, you can be lower on a grand than you can with a SR-15 with a Unity sight on it. You know, it's over two inches tall. In that scenario, it's bad. But in a scenario with night vision, or in a scenario where you are doing uh, CQB, or kicking in doors, uh, where you want to have a heads up, and you don't want to be down like this, then there's an advantage to it. Or you're going to put on a, a gas mask, or under nods. So, I guess, it kind of depends on these on on these these heights. You know what works for you and how you're going to implement it and, and how it's going to be. The latest idea from the super high speed guys and what they're doing and, and what doctrine they're following right now is many of them like those tall sights. They like the tall sights because they like the transition. They like to be able to come up if they're if you're going into a room, you've got your heads up, your head up. And you're, when your head's up, your peripheral vision is, is maximum, meaning you can see the most. And they like that heads up. If, if you're going to go into danger, your head's up, you're presenting your plates properly. You don't want to be sideways like we talked about. You don't want to take a, a round through the side. You want it here to go through the, the, the armor. So there, there's that. And then that transition, when you're shooting, if you come off the rifle and you go to a secondary or tertiary weapon and come up, you know, your head's up, you know, turtle down like that. So they make the argument that coming from handgun secondary to primary is a lot fa faster and more natural. You're already shooting this way. You walk this way and you're up. So there's a lot of, it's, a, it's really popular to raise those sights up for varying, the various reasons. 
Now, if you have an old, older optic or an optic that doesn't come with a removable base or mount like the EOTech where it's built in, <clears throat> there's not been an option for you. Unity Tactical has built a riser that basically fixes that. And I have, I think I have two friends that have those and they absolutely love them. I've looked at them, I've handled them, um, played with them a little bit. They're super nice, super nice. So I would say that they're excellent. If you can deal with the scope cover problem, um, and it may not, or may or may not be a problem. It just, it is for me. I think, you're, I think you'd be good, yeah. I'm an EOTech fanboy too, I, I, I love them as well. To be honest, if I were gonna buy a, a non-magnified red dot for another build for, for something, um, I would probably buy an EOTech, yeah. And that's someone who already owns T2s. Bilbo Baggins just became our newest member. Welcome, brother, welcome. Glad to have you here, glad to have you here. And a member message from our friend Nick Chase. Welcome, Nick. Good to see you here. Nick writes, member for three months. He says, my first full-size hunting rifle was a Savage 308. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a great starter. I got it when I was 11 or 12. I still use it for white-tailed deer here in western Pennsylvania. And I'm now 21. Yeah, that's cool, man. Still using your first rifle. I was really happy to get my first rifle back. I, I thought it was long gone. And um, I just got it back last week. I'll, I'll, I'll bring it out here. I got to clean it and get it put away. I haven't seen it since I was a boy. It's an old World War II Mauser 8mm. And uh, someone must have put it in a, I don't know if it's the original stock, but it's in a wooden sports stock. But I was so little, I was 12 when I started using it, uh, that my granddad cut the butt stock off. Cut a couple inches off the stock so I could shoulder it and uh, get on the sights. And I never had an optic on it. I always hunted with it with iron sights. After that, I, I, my first rifle I bought was a Remington 700 in 30-06. I hunted with that for a couple years and then I got my Weatherby 300, 300 Magnum. Awesome, thank you, Nick. Oh, 3.5 hours, is that? I didn't know. This will be our last one, be strong. Be strong one, welcome, shout out to you. Our final comment, he said, Cody, they make EOTech covers, they're silicone based. Well, there you have it, problem solved. I saw some covers years ago. I bought, my, I bought an EOTech, I bought a 512. That's the old school one that takes the AA batteries. That was the first red dot I ever bought. And I did remember looking into that, they had some cheesy covers back in the day. That was a long time ago. I'm sure they've got better stuff now. That's fine, but how do they implement? Are they handy? Are they, do you have to take them out and store them somewhere? Do they attach? Do they flip up? Can you flip them open with one hand? You know, all these are important questions. But I'm sure it's worked out. If you're in the desert, it's fine. You know, not, probably not a big deal. But if you're in the rain in the Pacific Northwest, rain, snow, and pine needles, you know, the hunting stuff I grew up with, it is catastrophic. It really messes up optics. No matter how careful you are, you've got to have scope covers. So if that works, then that might be a solution. Goodness, thank you, beloved. Three and a half hours. I can't believe it. Thank you for hanging out with us. I appreciate all of you who endured the fasting yesterday with me. One thing that's wonderful about the 24-hour fast 
is, boy, you sure do look forward to your breakfast the next morning. Mrs. W. made me a double portion this morning, and I was very happy to have it. <clears throat> one last one. Two. We have the Phoenix Bird, our newest member. Phoenix Bird writes, Wife won't let me own anything except an air rifle, even that she isn't happy about it. I should have saved this comment for tomorrow because I could go off on a whole two-hour diatribe on how this attitude of our wives letting us have things or not letting us have things has got to change, beloved. Now, I, I don't want to blow you up here by making that statement, but that does give an insight to a marriage that's being mismanaged. I understand the comedy of, oh, you know, the boss, who's the boss, the boss wears the skirt, you know, and all these things. But ultimately, we are, uh, Proho does not seek permission from his wife uh, to do anything. And he doesn't skulk around in fear or miss out on things that he wants to do or recreation, recreational activities that would give him pleasure because she's uncomfortable with something. That's the first problem. I'm not going to hammer on this right now, but I most likely am going to think about this over the course of the next 24 hours and we'll probably open with this because this is something that needs to not, not be happening. Um, I, it happens. I know a lot of marriages are, are this way, but I, I'm, I'm not living that way and you shouldn't have to live that way. Obviously, there's responsibility that needs to come with leadership. If you're going to take on the role as a leader of your household, you have to be able to make good decisions and, and not force your wife into a position where she's got to constantly be like, now don't buy this because we have to pay the rent and we have to buy food and all that. I mean, if, if you're that guy, if you're so irresponsible that you can't manage that and your wife has to step up and give you permission to do this or that, then I don't know what to say, you know, that, that maybe you need, maybe you married a mother, maybe you need a mother. But if all things being proper and you're a reasonably intelligent, capable, thoughtful, uh, reasonable, professional homeowner man type of guy, uh, we need not be living in fear of, of women and wives. Um, if you've let that get away from you, you need to reel that back in. Um, I, I do not like that. I don't, I don't like statements like that. It really bothers me. Like that nonsense about happy wife, happy life. No, no, not, she's not the center of my attention. She's not the center of the universe. She is an accessory to me. She is my helpmate. I have been given uh, the responsibility and the role ordained by God, the creator of the universe, to be head of my household and chief of my priest and chief of my household. I do not seek permission from my wife to do the things I want to do and to make the decisions I want to make. I'm the one that makes those decisions. I involve her for big ones, important ones. We make them together. But when it comes down to what I want to do and what firearm I want to buy, I guarantee you there's no woman that's going to tell me I can't have and I can only have an air rifle. That is not happening. And you should not be subject to that sort of tyranny either. And I, I'm not pounding on you, Phoenix Bird. I, I don't, I, I get it. You know, it, it just happens. But it happens because you may have not been around masculine men that don't allow it to happen. And you just don't, haven't seen it modeled. That could be. But I assure you that that's the way that it is with a lot of families. 
We can fix that, though. I think we should talk about that a little bit. I'll, I'll think about that. We'll see what happens in the next 24 hours. But that might be a topic we want to touch on. I'm not talking about tyranny here or being an overbearing jerk. I'm talking about earning the respect that you deserve and taking the role that is yours and, and leading your home. You know, you very well may decide that when you become the man of your home that you're not going to have anything other than an air rifle. But, but let that be because that's your decision, not because some woman that is making decisions based on ignorance and fear uh, making them for you. That's not going to happen around here. And Miroslav Mayer, our newest member. Shout out to you. Welcome. Goodness, this got to be our longest stream. Unbelievable. Thank you, beloved. Thank you for hanging out with me. Thank you for the super chats. Goodness, and all of the um, support and help from the, the middlemen and from Overton in the group. Shout out to them as well. And a lot of really, really good questions. I really enjoy having these discussions and, and, and learning from one another. It's, um, it's definitely the highlight of my day. Please pray for us. Uh, we pray for you constantly. May God bless you and your families as well. And uh, that's it. We'll see you guys on the next one. <laughs>